Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Alan Watt, and you're listening to The Hoaxbusters. We'd like to say that, in our opinion, it is not suitable for children or for those of you who may have a nervous disposition. Recorded live. Hoaxbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-4477-444. Call ID 90337. Yeah. Well, what's going on? Hey, uh, Monday is September 4th. It's 2017. And this is Chris. And... And, uh, yeah, what's going on here? We're doing the Hoaxbusters call right now, and we're going over to the chat. We're checking who's in the chat. And we got uh, Get Wrist. We got Hot Coat. We got Mike Gale, Papa Cat, and Wave 57. Excellent. Thanks for coming out, checking it out. It's live. We're live right now, uh, starting late in the summer months. As is customary, getting dark earlier now, I guess, since uh, something to do with, um, I don't know, global warming, rotation of the planet, uh, sun is uh, closer, further, uh, it's 3,000 miles away, it's 93.2 million miles away, it's, uh, yeah, whatever you feel like it, that's pretty much whatever i don't know interesting yeah okay well so uh there is uh a shift and it's seasonal or maybe it's not maybe it's maybe it's a harbinger of catastrophe but uh, anyway, yeah, we have cause to be concerned all the time. That's the system we live in where it's like uh, you can get exposed to information and then the information is sort of designed to, I think, keep you confused, to keep you off kilter, to keep you uh, in a state of anxiety about any and everything. But uh, the reality is quite different than what uh, we are being told, which is kind of the theme of these discussions 
these rants that I get into and uh, callers bring up different points and uh, well it kind of gives you a different outlook on things and you get to the point where if you get enough correct information that these sort of things don't bother you because you know what they're designed to do. They're designed to bother you. And I'm talking about the, uh, yeah, the propaganda that we're fed, the stuff in the media, the stuff in the coming out of the so-called sciences and all of that. But here I'm going to go into a quote which uh, I had the pleasure of meeting with a caller and they came into town yesterday and we had a nice dinner and hung out for a while talking about different things. A lot of the same subject we talked about here on the call. Guy goes by the name Nathan and uh, he drives a truck. And uh, yeah, it's cool. It was, it was really nice. And yeah, I have to say, I have the best listenership on the planet. Everybody I've met have been upstanding individuals, I'll have to say. Uh, this here is something. Uh, yeah, I got, uh, well, need to locate it first. But, uh, do, 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 Yeah, I hope you like the little song selection at the beginning. That's that John's, uh, recommended listening. He's got some, uh, nice, uh, tune selections. If you're into that sort of thing, everybody has different taste in music and, uh, but, uh, I would concur with John that his song selections there at the recommended listening list are quite good. There is different varieties of stuff on there for your perusal. And that's at hoaxbusterscall.com, by the way. I'm stalling for time. I'm trying to find my notes. Find my notes. Find your notes. See what happens is I uh, send this stuff to Evernote. And I'm imagining it being there. And it's not. Because it doesn't sync all the time for some reason. Do, 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 do. No, here it is. My apologies. Uh, so the following letter circulated amongst American bankers by European banking interests during the American Civil War gives the most revealing light on the subject. Quote, slavery is likely to be abolished by the war power and chattel slavery destroyed. This I and my European friends are in favor of, for slavery is but the owning of labor and carries with it the care of the laborers. 
while the European plan led by England is that capital shall control labor by controlling wages, unquote. This letter is known as the Hazard Circular. It is to be found on pages 44 through 45, The Money Manipulators by June Green. Graham. Excuse me. That is what we've been saying. Well, we spoke to that on the last afternoon commute. So what is exactly slavery? Because that is in the news now, right? We want to abolish all kinds of iconography of the our checkered past. That's an interesting term, checkered past. Uh, the black, white, checker, Freemason. Everybody knows about that. But, um, yeah, taking down statues of Robert E. Lee... Because he was a racist slave, slaver, slaver guy, like slavery. Like, what is slavery? Well, according to this here, and the bankers say it's the, uh, yeah, it's the owner, owning of labor is owning of labor, which uh, makes total sense if you own labor. Well, if you control money, you can buy labor with money, obviously. I don't think anybody is going to be contentious about that. And then you control labor. You control the people who are the laborers. That simple. But uh, one thing uh, me and Nathan were discussing about this whole thing is uh, about the whole money system. Like I've talked about before, it's sort of the unexamined premise that a lot of discussions are based on. And if you really step back and kind of look at it critically, you can't really have any kind of equity or fairness in a money system. It's just not really remotely even practical. It's not going to be equitable because you've taken your labor, your energy, your input, and you've indexed it to an abstraction. And that abstraction has so many different ways to be manipulated. And if you just look at the way our economy and everything is set up, it's so convoluted and skewed, bent, distorted, whatever you want to call it. They have these things called, what is it, derivatives, market derivatives, where it's not even indexed to a stock or a commodity. It's just sort of this instrument that was invented, and they could trade in these instruments. And from what I understand, on some kind of Oh, cursory level is sort of like an insurance policy against <laughs> losing your stock. It's really super convoluted. And how could that not be a, just a total racket? It obviously is. But then it's legitim- given legitimacy through this thing called law, courts. Oh, it's totally fine. It's totally legal. Trade derivatives. It's... uh. 
Yeah, totally constitutional and above board. No problem. It's just nonsense. But, uh, well, let's look up what a, deri a derivative is. Derivative. Learn some economics. Do, 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 do. Derivative. Derivative. Check, check, one, two. Uh, there is the, uh, multiple definitions of that. Scoop, do. I'm trying to find what the, what, uh, I guess I need to put stock derivative, don't I? Derivative is a contract between two or more parties which value is based on an agreed upon underlying financial asset, index, or security. Common underlying instruments include bonds, commodities, currencies, interest rates, market indexes, and stocks. Finance derivative. A finance derivative is a contract that drives the value of the performance of underlying entity. The underlying entity can be an asset, index, or inherit interest rate. It is often simply called a underlying quote-unquote. Uh, derivatives can be used a number of purposes, including insuring against price movements, uh, hedging, increased exposure to price movements for speculation for getting access to otherwise hard-to-trade assets or markets. Some of the more common derivatives include forwards, futures, options, swaps, and variations of these, such as synthetic collateralized debt obligations and credit default swaps. Most derivatives are traded over-the-counter off exchange or an on exchange such as Bombay Stock Exchange while most insurance contracts have developed into a separate industry. Deriv derivatives are one of the three main categories of finance in instruments. The other two being stocks, equities and shares and debt, bonds and mortgages. The oldest example of a derivative in history is thought of a to be a contract transaction of olives entered into by Greek philosopher Thales and attested to by Aristotle, who made a profit in the exchange. Uh, bucket shops outlawed a century ago are a more recent example. So they had these bucket shops and they made them illegal. Hmm. So maybe in the future, the derivatives will be made illegal. Why would it be made illegal? Maybe it's too brazen of a scam, maybe. Bucketeering, bucketeer. Uh, so you have the money system and you have all this chicanery going on and, uh, there will never be any f fairness in that thing. It's not practical. So you can have a situation where somebody can be born into wealth uh, John sent me a documentary about rich kids, and it's about children that are born into wealth. Yeah, you can check that out. I think it's called Rich Kids. And it was done done by a rich kid himself. I think he was an heir to Johnson & Johnson Fortune or something. And he wanted to kind of document what it's like to be an heir to a big fortune like that, and he's interviewing some other rich kids, and so, like, these individuals don't have to hit a lick to use the uh, 
common colloquialism that we use around here. Don't hit a lick. Don't hit a lick. Don't do nothing. You don't have to do nothing. And you're just wealthy. And not only are you have all this so-called money on the books, you have a great deal of power, a great deal of influence just by way of being rich. And it doesn't, it's not contingent on what your work ethic is, what your character is, what you contributed, quote unquote, to society, quote unquote. It's got nothing to do with that. You're just rich because you're rich and that's it. And people will defer to you. They're interviewing, uh, uh, what's her face, Ivanka Trump. And she just was talking about how, yeah, she was treated differently because her parents had money. And she was laughing kind of about it. It's kind of strange to her. And, well, she can't help it. I mean, she's just born rich. But she was just thinking how it was funny because I, I was just a little kid. I couldn't give them any of my parents' money. But they treated me differently. And it's like this bizarre sort of mind virus that everybody in this culture is infected with, which is like, oh, rich people are somehow extra. They're somehow special. They're somehow worthy of more respect or deference or just because they're rich just even the children i mean they're just born into wealth they had haven't even had a chance to do anything they're not even and um it, that's still the case but if you take the sort of rhetoric that you're exposed to out there and you'll often hear people critical of like a welfare mom the octo mom that had eight kids is like oh i'd want to pay for that that's outrageous she shouldn't have all those children she should have to work she shouldn't have any assistance from the government that's that's a outrage that's criminal i i don't want to pay taxes for that to have women not work and have children that's i i i that's that's a moral impingement on, on my person. I, that's, I, I can't tolerate that. And that's common. But rich kids, ah, what do they do? I mean, they, so where is that wealth? And then you could take that wealth and you can hire, like the quote earlier, you own labor. So you just own, like, basically slaves. And that's cool just by being born into wealth. And then, so just those two things I mentioned, it's like, yeah, you're not going to ever get any kind of equity, fairness, equality, like all these things they talk about. And that's all the rage now. And this rhetoric, this discourse, this banter, never, uh, never examines the premise, never touches on the premise, the money system the impossibility of equity and fairness in the money system. And you have a built-in oppositional dynamic going on in the money system where it's like, oh, the one percenters, they're bad. And we, the 99%, so they played upon that heavily with the march on Wall Street, all that other stuff. 
but it's like uh, there's some valid point. Yeah, of course there's valid points on the on the side of this some some of this discussion. But it's like, do they examine the premise? Nope, we don't examine the premise. Uh, so I was listening to uh, uh, John recommend I listen to the Joe Rogan with Jordan Peterson and another gentleman on there to go look up but anyway I think it was the most recent episode of the Joe Rogan podcast which from what I understand is the most popular podcast in the podcast world Brett Brett Weinstein uh, who's Brett Weinstein so I guess he's the guy that got He's a biology professor at Evergreen State College, and then he caught some he caught some flack for not being politically correct enough or something. And uh, Jordan Peterson, he's he's a professor, University of Toronto, and he speaks out against social justice warriorism and postmodernism and a lot of the nonsensical stuff that's coming out of that. And so I listened to that. And the thing was that kept being brought up was evolution. It's evolution, evolution, evolution. And this uh, this uh, Brett Weinstein individual is a uh, purported evolutionary biologist. And Jordan Peterson pretty much, I guess just concurs with uh, this interjection of this evolution idea which would be typical of any academic or anybody that regards themselves as intellectual would be to always defer to Darwin always defer to evolution you don't want to sound like a dummy and and a science denier if you doubt Darwin and we always have to analyze every social movement, uh, every single last thing in light of this all-encompassing theory of evolution. You know, into interrelationships or social constructs or any and everything can be viewed through the lens of evolution. I say evolutionism. It's a belief system. And one thing that I noticed too is that you don't ever have to give any anything quantifiable, objective. You just invoke it. Oh, in our evolutionary past, this and that and the other. We drug women around by their hair, but we don't do that anymore. We figured out that was wrong. It's like, did did they back then? Do you know you were there? No, you weren't. It's all it's all this um, just those stories and just those stories. I don't know. Is it you, uh, Rudyard Kipling that wrote a series of just those stories? And it's just kind of like, how did the leopard get its spots? Oh, it was uh, something or another, and a monkey. I don't know. Hit him with a got in a fight with a monkey with a paintbrush or something. I don't know. Something to that effect. And it's just as valid as what they'll tell you how 
evolutionists will tell you how the leopard got her spots. It's just a just-so story. Yeah, why are crocodiles the same 100 million years ago as they are now? Oh, just so. Oh, they don't need to evolve because... And then any everything can be explained through evolutionism. And then you go fast forward to the modern day, and lo and behold, it's like, oh, evolutionism, we got... It, it, that gives us our guide to understanding. And it's like, no, it doesn't because you can explain anything and it's opposite <laughs> equally with evolution. It doesn't have any coherent sound basis in anything. You just invoke it. It's, it's a total 100% religious type belief system, has no foundation in anything. Tangible, objective, solid, but Chris, there's bones in the ground. They've dug up thousands and thousands of bones that prove evolution. It's like, yeah, no, they have not. If you want to analyze, if you want to, because most people don't, they don't care to go into the particulars. They just always defer to experts, especially on evolution. It's like, let's not go into particulars. I mean, come on, this is not flat earth, Chris. We don't want to spend too much time on it. It's like, well, if you look at uh, the list of transitional fossils on Wikipedia, <laughs> you'll know what I'm talking about. Oh, these are transitionals. It's like, are they? Looks like a fish to me. Looks like a salamander to me. Oh, it's a transitional fossil. It's transitional. I, what does transitional even mean? So the idea was, okay, we all, everything on the planet, all the biodiversity of life, came from a common ancestor billions of years ago and over the aeons have just slowly transmogrified and everything you see so there should be intermediates between everything which they claim that that's what you would expect but yet you don't find that in the so-called fossil record Stephen Jay Gould a preeminent uh, biologist he was a pretty prominent in the 70s he died I think in the 90s and he came up with the theory of punctuated equilibrium which just basically says yeah there's no fossils intermediates and the reason why is because evolution happens quickly through environmental pressures he still believed in evolution and his lack of evidence didn't uh, it really heavily influences belief because it's a belief. You don't need evidence. I mean, it's just simply a belief. You know, you put faith in it and you don't really need to have anything concrete. And uh, so it's sort of like, well, you'll have religion, you'll have belief in God. But this evolutionism and, like, scientism, it's like they accuse the religious of being irrational and not requiring evidence. But it's actually the opposite because if you look at anything that works in, in nature, that's evidence that some designer put it together. And then, ergo God, you know, it makes total sense. 
I mean, anything working. There's no reason that anything should work. There's no chemical process that should just work. And things falling together just happenstancedly and coincidentally is not a viable basis for any kind of theory or any kind of an idea. It's just not. Not a valid idea, but evolution there is. So it's like you have to have so much faith to believe in this cockeyed theory. So they're going on and they're talking about social justice warriors and, and this whole identity politics and all this thing and kind of how it's rooted in, in, in postmodernism. And postmodernism is sort of like the uh, negation of anything that you would recognize as a, uh, an ideal or a standard or you know, uh, an archetype or anything because it's all subjective, it's all sort of by the seat of our pants. We just don't have anything to go by other than what we can enforce on others by way of our power struggle. And that's how, you know, Jordan Peterson was uh, characterizing this whole postmodern thing, which I would agree with. I think that has a lot to do with it. It's kind of like just subjective, non, uh, no rationality, no logic, just sort of this uh, idea that, you know, you, the only thing that exists is just different groups that can adopt an identity and then the identity can be just whatever you feel and then based on that identity you can go forward and assert your rights or whatever that you want to assert you don't have to have logical consistency you don't have to have any because those are tools of oppression and even oddly enough and the postmodernist kind of idea science itself is sort of an oppressive construct like the idea, but you know, here's the thing: it's that okay. If evolution is true, which certainly this uh, this Brett Weinstein individual and Jordan Peterson, by extension, believe in this thing called evolution. So, at its core, is that everything on the planet that breathes came about through a purely random blind process that had no plan it had no it has no plan it has no objective it has no stand it's just kind of just everything just kind of evolves and it's and they survive because they're the fittest oh why are they the fittest because they survive it's just, it's it's this Tautology is a circular logic that's replete throughout this uh, belief system. And I did a video kind of uh, documenting all that with uh, this, this, uh, on this call-in show, this atheist ex experience call-in show. And I just pointed out all the different logically fallacious lines of reasoning that Matt Dillon, honey, was, he's this sort of, highly regarded atheist guy that's a big I guess he's sort of a folk hero among these self-described atheists but atheism has a very close correlation with uh, scientism and naturalistic materialism it's, it's obvious even though they make an issue out of like distancing themselves in some bizarre way like um, 
no it uh i don't uh necessarily think that that's the conclusion you have to draw but it's like no it's like that's <laughs> if everything is just a random process of materials kind of jumbling around together and the big bang everything came out of nothing for no reason it's like yeah that definitely has implications as far as atheism is concerned certainly but they kind of like skirt around that it's really sort of um disingenuous and ridiculous if you ask me but one thing they brought up was hitler of course you got to bring up hitler in any discussion of anything political or anything like that, it's just going to be a matter of time for Hitler comes up. So, like, what is Hitler? It's sort of like, oh, we talked about this before, how it's like he's sort of uh, the secular humanist personification of evil or the devil or the Antichrist or whatever. In secular humanist terminology, the ultimate evil would be Hitler. And how is he defined? Oh, he was racist. He was a terrible racist, and he wanted to kill the Jews, and he set out to systematically eradicate the Jews, so the story goes. I don't believe the Holocaust myself, personally, because there's the evidence. If you simply examine the evidence, it just doesn't pan out. Uh, does that mean Hitler was a good guy, that I think he was a good guy? No, it doesn't necessarily follow. Do I think he went to... Uh, what South America, like that FBI, supposed FBI documents say that he didn't die in World War II. He got shuffled off to um, Argentina, probably, because these people that are put out in front of us, I don't care what capacity they're in, Kim Jong Il or any of these people, they're they're primarily like actors, and they don't really are ideologically bent in the way that they're presented. They're sort of in and of and a part of the whole system and what, it, what it's all about really is perception management on the masses. And we're seeing this certainly now. If we analyze our current state of politics, we see that it's per primarily theater. Because none of that's real. I mean, come on. So Trump presents himself a certain way, but now we're seeing like... He's putting his attorney general out there and his attorney general is saying, yeah, we need more asset forfeiture seizure, more power for the police. And they're saying, oh, we need more armed police. And it's like, what the hell? How does that reflect make America great again or liberty values or anything like that? The, the libertarians and stuff should be shouting it from the rooftops. Oh, no, they're dead asleep. But it's just the duplicitous, ridiculous nature of this whole po political thing. It's just absolutely absurd. Of course, they're ramping up asset forfeiture seizure. Or of course, they're giving police more armored vehicles. Of course. What did you expect? Yeah, so they can get that stuff over if they're a Republican. And then just like Obama, he got a bunch of stuff over because he's Democrat. And it's like, yeah, he, he, he did a lot of warmongering and all that but it was uh it, it just shut down the anti-war protest because he's a democrat and it's like yeah it's so absurd it's it's uh this identity politics thing is it's another baffling absurdity but if you take evolution theory at its face and you believe that it's true could you if there was such a thing as a holocaust 
like this Brett Weinstein guy was, uh, was alluding to in this discussion. And without directly coming out and saying it, because I think he was sort of skirting around it, but without directly saying it, because that's not something that you can say, but it's like, yeah, it makes total sense from an evolutionary perspective to wipe out certain undesirable genetic pulls or undesirables or retarded people or mentally ill people or gay people or but then you know some people will come back and say oh those are not defectives those are normal people and you can't do that and it's like uh says who because you that you know back again is like evolution theory you can make a case for anything and then you can make a case where it's opposite it's that flexible it's the theory that explains everything explains nothing and is invalid but the people don't see it that way it's a really it's like a religion it's a belief system but of certainly you can justify the uh, final solution with evolution theory absolutely and if you look at uh mind comp mind struggle what struggle is that hitler your struggle for survival the survival of fittest Probably, because if you look at the, his language in the book, it's very much reminiscent of evolution theory. He invokes it quite often, doesn't directly spell it out, but it's definitely hinted at. Um, so these eugenicist ideals, were they backed up, quote-unquote, scientifically by Darwin's theory? Absolutely. You'll read these writings, and they're saying oh yeah this is the natural right thing to do you want to eliminate undesirables out of the gene pool it makes total sense from an evolutionary perspective because you don't want them breeding and propagating the bad genes well who decides who's the good genes and who's not well the fittest well how do they come into their fittest because they're at the top of the food chain they're the richest people that are in power well what makes them the what, what makes them being able to be in a position to tell everybody else what to do because they're the fittest they're at the top why are they why are they how do they get to the top because they're the fittest it's circular and it suits the statist religious agenda by extension because that's what evolution is it's the statist religion it's a officially sanctioned statist religion so you go you want to go to an accredited university you got to pay umbrance to uh evolution theory because it's a statist religion, and like, who are the licensors of the uh, academic institutions? Well, it's the state. And like in 1984, you have the party, and the party would be in our current system the academics, the intellectuals, the people who are professionals, experts. And the party is always going to toe the party line. They're always going to give you an evolutionary perspective on everything. And it's funny that they don't ever stop, even for a second, to contemplate, to mull over the uh, actual implications of the theory, which is full-blown eugenics-based, and always has been, always will be. So you can have these discussions, and we bring this up a lot, where it's like, yeah, you never examine the premise. You can just go off on a debate on what's, what's, what's more correct to go forward under our evolutionary worldview, we, we, can, we can guide our own evolution and we could 
we could suppress these natural urges and it's like well no i mean if you're a a, a, what is it a a biological determinist or and you're a naturalistic materialist uh rationalist whatever you have to recognize that um yeah you are controlled by your chemicals and your chemicals are just some amalgam of random chance happenstance so philosophically you have no leg to stand on in reality of course with your theory as flexible it is you could yeah you can make a case for anything and you can come in and make a case for its opposite equally well just go look at the writings and the stuff which supposedly prop up evolution theory is just replete throughout all these different descriptions. Like you could make a case for one thing and then come around on the next chapter and make a case for its opposite. It's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is there is no philosophy anymore, I guess. There is no grounding for anything there is no anchor there is no in our modern culture our modern society there is no standard and you have people coming out in opposition to this postmodernist ideas and at the same time paying uh, paying deference to the very belief system that is the underpinning to this postmodernist idea, which is evolution theory. So, which essentially is, there is no standards. And, uh, yeah, that's what we got. So what is Jordan Peterson's beef with all these new developments? how does he know they're not just another stage of evolution and it's part of a process that's evolutionary based and what is Brett Weinstein what is his beef with all this what if they want to tear him limb from limb for being a racist well they're just acting off their chemical composition that was arrived at randomly rationality and discussion and reason to debate is something that is just take it or leave it so I guess another thing that should be pointed out it's like yeah all this radical nuttiness that you're seeing out there and you got people kind of like pointing it out oh this is so crazy oh this is so irrational these people are so nonsensical these social justice warrior individual identity politics is so crazy and a lot of these people are what you would call skeptics which means like anything that's not official dogma you got to throw out anything that is official document dog dogma is sacrosanct and you can't doubt it because it's science these people are like anti-social justice. And it's like, no, the social justice warriors are right. It's like all evolution. 
Bill Nye is right. It's all evolution. The 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 gender, ninety seven flavors of gender. It's evolution, man. Who are you to say otherwise? And uh, Tim Kelly and Jay Dyer did a real good talk on uh, our interesting times. It's posted up there. It's posted up at Jay's uh, channel too. And they were going into this, and it's, it's something they were talking about was um, well, what, what, what were they were saying? It was like with all with all of the stuff, it's like you you don't really have. Well, let me back up. It's like you don't have any kind of real basis for rejecting it. And this stuff comes out of what they're referring to, these different uh, social engineers. And they're making reference to where this was spoken about directly, how this would come about. But from this uh, naturalistic, materialistic, evolutionary perspective, they're the ones in the right. If you take that at its face and you believe in it, truly believe in it, that's really what happened. That's how we got here. So another thing we we're talking about was um, diet. And the the, the so-called paleo diet which a lot of people are advocating and what is it based on it's based on well see now in our past and they always invoke evolution too a lot of them do maybe not all of them these paleo diet advocates they said well we're not biologic that much biologically different from our ancestors so we should eat what they ate like hunter gatherer eat a lot of meat eat some berries eat some fruits stuff you can find around get some seasonal stuff Stay away from any modern processed stuff. Uh, kind of cut down on dairy because dairy's bad, I think. I, I don't know the exact uh, uh, canon of paleo thought, what, what that would be. But anyway, I was listening, and I've talked about this before, how this paleo advocate, and he kept talking about evolution. And I just pointed out, man, you know, if we're evolving constantly, then we could evolve to eat, uh, I know it sounds kind of silly, but why couldn't we evolve to eat uh, styrofoam packing peanuts or anything else that's like regarded now as, oh, it's bad, it's full of chemicals. It's no, we'll evolve, we'll evolve, and then we can digest all that stuff. We just need to evolve into it. This is modern all modern civilization, everything is just a product of evolution and an outworking of evolution. And it's all, you know, willy nilly putting every kind of like wacky configuration of chemicals into the food and preservatives and everything else. We just need to evolve and adapt to what we're going to digest them and eat them. Be evolved for fuck's sake. Don't deny it. Don't deny Darwin. Don't start denying Darwin now. And lo and behold, I went and found an article that says just that exact thing. Do do do. Scientific American. 
how to really eat like a hunter-gatherer, why the paleo diet is half-baked. It goes in, it talks about the same thing. It says, we are evolving, people. You don't got to worry about what our natural ancestors ate. We're, we're, we're evolving new enzymes and everything all the time. Which, um, granted, you will make a, a, you will adapt to, to a certain degree. This is well understood. So when, so when I'm talking about this, I'm not denying that there is abda- adaptation within different uh, biological life forms or kinds or whatever you want to call them. There always has been. This always has been observed way before Darwin through uh, animal husbandry and uh, selective breeding. Uh, can you evolve? Can you selectively breed a cat to be the size of a mouse? No. There's limits. Can you selectively breed a pig to be the size of a school bus? No, there's limits. Do you do you not think that they would do that if they could uh, uh, selectively breed a pig to be the size of a school bus? How, man, that would be great. One giant pig, and you just bring them to slaughter, and it's like, man, it's a lot of meat. Just all you need is one pig. Or a couple in case one of them dies or whatever. But even if it died, even if it was like, adolescent pig it'd still be pretty damn big couldn't go wrong with school bus sized pigs why don't they breed them because they can't there's limits now selective breeding would be uh, an example of sped up evolution wouldn't it we could really really speed it up we can direct it and guide it it's like yeah but you hit a wall you hit limits every single time it's always been observed there's boundaries. There's set boundaries in life. Is there variability possible? Absolutely. Look at dogs. Is there limits? Absolutely. You can't breed a dog to be a cat. Just select for cat characteristics and keep breeding and breeding and breeding and eventually you'll have a cat. Nope. Still be a dog. Still be a dog. Well, why? Because there's limits. It's very, very... That's what's observed. Now they're going to tell you that there is no limits, that you could evolve uh, a bacteria, one-celled amoeba, into a human. You could uh, go from a one-celled amoeba to, to Abraham Lincoln to give it enough time. It's like, well, it's, you don't observe that because it's t- like take a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a long, 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 long time, millions and millions of years. It's like, ah, how do you know that? You weren't there. You can't observe it. There's no fossil record, just like we were talking about earlier, punctuated equilibrium. Uh, it's a belief. But in this belief, you can uh, have a final solution and have a philosophical backing for it. Or any other eugenics program you want to assert and implement. Sterilization of the poor, the weak. You don't want them to breed. Um, makes total sense from an evolutionary perspective. And... Think about it. We're all just random chemicals anyway. We're insignificant. There's no real value to life other than what we arbitrarily place on it under the evolutionary Big Bang perspective. So what's the point of even talking about social justice warriorism and all that? It's just evolution. 97 flavors of gender is evolution. It's evolution. Why not? Make it whatever you want. You can have transhumanism, put... put uh, robot head on a human body, robot body on a head transplant a head on a whatever you want to do it's all just chemicals anyway 
and that's really the basis for all of this. It's like that's the underpinning. That's a philosophical underpinning for this postmodernist whack philosophy. And people don't see it because they strongly believe in this thing called scientism, evolutionism, all these isms that are portrayed as science. And it's like, oh, Chris, you're, you jackass. You don't believe in science. Like, why, why are you using a computer? Why are you using electronics? It's like, ah, uh, see, you know, you've, your thinking is totally corrupted too, and you don't know how to reason things through. So you take this absolutist, excluded middle hardline of either or. Either everything in science is legit or nothing is legit. And it's like, well, your thinking is totally corrupt and flawed. Um, you don't approach anything like that. It's nonsense. So absolutely everything we're told is a lie. We must totally throw out everything. It's like, no, that's, that's flawed thinking. Uh, but then people fall back on that all the time. But I think that's part of our postmodernist culture, society. We've been incul inculcated with this. And I think, yeah, it's, a lot of it is, has to do with this uh, Big Bang Darwinist, naturalist, materialistic claptrap that pervades our system. And it totally makes sense that now you're going to get everything topsy-turvy, upside down, ass backwards, just no pretense of objectivity now. It's everything is just this identity politics and all this, that, and the other thing. So you can be identified as a, a wolf girl and then people have to defer to you. Oh, it's a wolf girl. She identifies as a wolf girl. I always thought I was a wolf. I always identified with wolves. And I'm a wolf girl. And I want to have my identity as a wolf girl. I mean, I'm not making that up. That's real. Out there. That's out there. And it's like, yeah, why not? Sew a, go get a surgeon to sew a uh, bushy tail on this girl. Wolf girl, I mean. My apologies. It's like, why not? There is no boundaries between species. You can evolve, uh, you know, like I said, an amoeba into Abraham Lincoln to give enough time. So why not mix and match parts? Put a salamander tail on you or something. Is it a li no, maybe like a lizard tail? Is that the one that breaks off? That'd be probably handier for humans in case you get it caught in the bus door or when you're getting on the bus or something it just breaks off and falls on there ah my tail grow a new one but like um well, yeah well is that the, that's what they're saying they're going to mix and match humans and uh animals and Machines and animals and then machines and humans and machines, humans and animals. Let's mix and match them, everybody. Let's just get all this going. It's all evolution. We're going to guide our evolution. Put a salamander gene in you. So they gave that, um, uh, what, Cassidy Stay, the crisis actor that got her finger blown off. I think she's half salamander. They just grew a new finger. No scars or anything on it.
Um, but man, yeah, evolution theory is whatever you want it to be, and it's very postmodern. And postmodern is anything pretty much goes because there is no objective standards anymore. And it basically comes down to who can yell the loudest. And whoever can, can yell the loudest is uh, the, the, the one who prevail, the fittest, the strongest. That's how you do discourse. And we don't tolerate intolerance. So it's self-refuting. But that's okay. We're postmodernist. We don't need to make sense. Uh, nothing makes sense anyway because we're just chemicals that came out of some primordial stew 4.5 billion years ago that was concocted out of rocks. Just bare rock. That's all there was back then. And then it rained on the rocks and the stew was formed out of rocks and water so you came from a rock 4.5 no that's not true that's a lie you mischaracterize you don't understand evolution it's like what was there back then well there's regolith and there's oh what's regolith those rocks oh, okay so we came out of rock there's just rocks and water then right yep there was no organic matter no nothing else so where did you come from i came from a rock out of nowhere for no reason. Uh, yeah, why not go completely full bore silly sauce retard um, like they're doing now? Why not? Evolution. But anyway, I think I made that point good enough. Screw doop doo. Da da da. Is anybody gonna call in? Probably because they don't know what the phone number is. So, uh, yeah, let's take a commercial break. And this commercial go out to Nathan for treating me to dinner. That was very nice of him. And, uh, He'll be the sponsor of our new commercial that John came up with that I think is funny. In the spirit of fun. And then I'll play the number and I'll play commercial. And then hopefully somebody will call in by then and we'll have a call or... You are listening to the Hope's Pastor's Call. To join in, call 724-444-7444. Call ID 90337. Hey folks, Alex Jones here for InfoWarsFoods.com. Introducing InfoWarsFoods.com with our pilot product. Infoladas. Folks, I've been eating enchiladas, I'm not kidding, since I was about five years old. 
Texas is one of the best places in the world for Mexican food. I decided the best thing to do for me personally is to get my own enchiladas. I call them infoladas. Okay. Texas has some of the best Mexican food chefs. I got the best Mexican food chef to come up with a recipe for the best enchiladas in the world. Now I'm giving them to you, the listener. I'm sharing them. I don't want to share them. I actually want to eat them all myself, but I decided to share them with the listener. Listen, enchiladas are the best enchiladas on the entire planet. We're talking non-GMO corn tortillas. There's three flavors. Cheese made from milk with no growth hormone. There's grass-fed beef and organic chicken. These are the best enchiladas on the planet, folks. 50, 100, and 500 packs. Infoladas. Just go get some. Listen, ole, okay? Este enchilada es lo mejor. The best enchiladas on the planet. Do I have to say it again? Go to InfoWarsFoods.com today. This is not a joke. I could literally eat 500 of these things myself. Este L.A. Enchilada Mejor. That's Infoladas, folks. That's at the InfoWarsStore.com. No, they're not. They're fake. But um, the ad is real, but it's really fake. It's not a product. Um, yeah, Infoladas. Infoladas at uh, 500 packs, 100 packs. Uh, check those out or don't because they're fake. But anyway, that's ads on demand. If you want to do an ads on demand, go to hoaxbusterscall.com. Click on ads on demand on the banner on the side link, the side panel. Check it out. But we don't have callers. Don't have a caller. So what goes on? What's happening here? So what's supposed to happen is that people call in and they talk. And this is a hoax busters call. What's on the blog, by the way? Da 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 ba 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 ba. Scooby doo doop doop. Ba da ba da 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 ba. Do 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 doop doop. Ba da ba da ba da ba ba da 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 da. Uh. Sales are spiking for 1984, but has a long history in politics. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were talking about on the uh, afternoon commute, 1984. So that's supposed to have an upsurge in sales every time there's a new so-called administration. That's what it seems like they're saying. So when Trump was elected president, everybody started buying 1984 because he was doing double speak or something. Is that really true? I don't know. Does that really happen? I don't know. John was saying he didn't think that really happens, but they're reporting it in the news. So it's always keeping this 1984 sort of culturally relevant by making references to it. But uh, we're in it, and there's a lot of elements of the book 1984 that are ring true inside the system that we're in. Now you're going to get this idea of... A terrifying future world where society is controlled by a totalitarian government where facts are censored and truth is rewritten. 
a oh. story where two plus two equals five. No, it's the four. The standard of living has risen by no less than 20% over the last year. Oh. This is one of the movies based on the book 1984, written 68 years ago by George Orwell, a oh book my. that tonight is enormously popular again number one really? on Amazon's bestseller list in such demand that the publisher Penguin is furiously printing more copies of furiously. the book. I think people are buying it as a warning, as a sense of trying to understand what happens when a government is actually kind of blatantly dissimulating facts and asking people to believe them is truth and not <laughs> backing down when there's evidence to the contrary. 1984 follows the path of the character Winston Smith a regular guy who lives under a government that controls everything, distorts reality, and wipes out evidence of what really happened in the past. Oh, no. The so-called Ministry of Truth tells lies. Its oh. propaganda is called Newspeak. Have you seen the 10th edition of the Newspeak Dictionary? Tonight, some analysts suggest the increase in 1984 book sales could be a response to the new White House. The Trump administration has been targeted by fact-checkers for alleging massive voter fraud but offering no proof and battling with the press over the exaggerated claims from the White House about inaugural crowd size. Photographs of the inaugural proceedings were intentionally framed in a way, in one particular tweet, to minimize the enormous support that had gathered on the National Mall. Presidential aide Kellyanne Conway went on NBC's Meet the Press and defended the White House press secretary. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains alternative that facts. CNN political commentator Carl Bernstein has called Conway the Minister of Propaganda. Kellyanne Conway uh, and the President of the United States uh, in, in their counter-truthful narratives uh, as well as specifics uh, are, are following an Orwellian road. Oh. And uh, it's dangerous, it is disturbing, and it is intense. But in terms of, Tense, uh, of the exact parallels with, with 1984, I'd, I'd be a little careful. University of Virginia professor Larry Sabato says some of the early moves of the Trump administration may be driving the comparisons, but he also says it's early. Any conclusions that you reach when an administration is only days old uh, can easily be wrong, and certainly uh, they're premature. So. You can criticize the fact that people are already reaching these conclusions. I think reasonably we ought to give it more time. But the early signs are concerning. And I think that's why a lot of people are rereading or reading for the first time 1984. Orwell may have been onto something. Really? Oh, my. So. What is the idea here? Is that uh, we switch administrations and then all of a sudden we're in 1984? Is that what there seems to be saying? I don't know. Seems like there might be some something to point out with uh, maybe Obama too as well where he had the only presidency on record to have every day of his administration was uh, boots on the ground, a war going on, and then he got a Nobel Peace Prize. That's Is that kind of maybe Orwellian or not, maybe, too? Uh, I guess that could be interpreted that way. War is peace. So you get a Peace Prize, and then you're 
in a continual state of constant war. That could be Orwellian. Um, I think that, um, yeah, there's just different elements of the uh, 1984 that are definitely just sort of intrinsic part of so-called politics or our system. Uh, talking one thing and meaning the other thing, that's all throughout the system and any law or it's, uh, yeah, but to kind of put it in this left-right framework is very typical and it uh yeah blame shifting make a point point out something that a republican does as orwellian but not democrats and then vice versa but they're both doing the same things but it's just tactics that are effective and uh what do they say it was like a psychological warfare it's common for armies to attack an enemy and then a part of psychological warfare Alex Jones bring this up a lot where they say oh we're not attacking you we promise we're not attacking and they're at the same time they're lobbing mortar shells and blowing up your bases and buildings and telling you at the same time it's like no we're not attacking you uh that that is um the war going on now is though this cultural war is in full swing and i think the identity politics and all this other crap is just a component of it and the whole reason why they have this donald trump persona in there as the so-called president is so to be a pushboard for all of this stuff and then that galvanizes the 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 so-called progressive progressives that are like have a lot in common with the the so-called cultural marxist philosophy where it's kind of like oh we need to tear down everything so that we can rebuild it more equitably and that means any and everything family uh men and women um even in the more extreme, like, uh, oh, even species, like you can't kill animals and eat them anymore because that's uh, speciesist. No kidding, that's what they're talking about. It all goes together. It all goes together. But from an evolutionary standpoint, it's like, aren't we just animals and then don't animals eat other animals? And you can observe that all throughout nature. And, but at the same time, they'll say, oh, you can observe homosexuality in uh, penguins. So uh, that's nat nat natural. And so we should do it. We should have gay marriage and let them wear tuxedos like penguins and uh, fornicate like penguins. Um, but no, we don't eat animals because uh, we evolved past eating animals. What? Yeah, sure. Why not? Anything goes. It's postmodern. It's like I said, evolution, you could, like that Scientific American article, oh, we're evolving past eating meat. 
We've all passed it. Oh, really? Oregon. Hi, hi, hi. How you doing, Oregon? Hey. Is this, uh... Can you hear me? Is this, uh... Preposterous. Oh, right on, man. Southern Oregon. Southern Oregon. How's it going? Good. Are you you the first time calling in? You sound like Paul. One, two, one, two. Um, yeah. I'm, so I'm on a... Yeah, you're breaking right up. Now my, uh, Check one, two. Let me see if I... Okay. How about now? That sounds better. Do you have... Uh, have you tried Infoladas? Have it, they get them in? Can you get them in Oregon? Oh yeah, they ship anywhere. I think. Infoladas. Infoladas. Bop 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 bop. Oh, I'm just no, joking no, around. No, no, no. Oh, it's. Uh, yeah, I'm not. The chicken you say you've tried those. Uh. Yeah, I. Yes. Can you hear me? You're breaking up. Still, you want to try calling back, and see if you can get a better connection. Dot 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 dot. Scoop. I think it's the Wi-Fi connection. It sounds like. Yeah, sounds like I'm on speakerphone or something too. It's like a lot of. A lot of. Calamity going on. Let me see. Well, anyway, man, I am a long-time listener. I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I got listeners out there that yeah. I never talked to, and they never message me, or, but I appreciate them all listening. If you're listening now and you're a long-time listener, I most appreciate it. So what, uh, what are you seeing out there in Oregon? It's all pretty much. Uh, right now I'm in, I'm in a uh, sort of a rural area, and I kind of live off the grid a little bit. I do solar and own my property, and uh, we got uh, a lot of wildfires. So for the last week or so, it's kind of surrealistic that uh, the whole area is covered with a smoke spot. And I actually got a little worried about it to uh, check to see that that's not something that they take advantage of, because you think it might be. It's, it's a disaster in a lot of places. There's a lot of people that live out in the middle of nowhere, they get completely sucked up by these wildfires. Oh. So, uh, how long has that been going on, you say? A couple weeks. A couple weeks now. And oh, uh, there isn't a whole lot of news about it. And really, there's one, there's about 40 miles away from me, there's a massive raging fire consuming the forest, and it's a whole area is just a complete fog of smoke. Wow. But uh, I did, uh, I moved, uh, I'm originally from New Jersey, and I moved to Portland. And I drove a night taxi in Portland for seven years. 
uh, and then uh, made enough money to buy my own place and get off the grid. And really, the whole thing with me was, of course, I'm a big uh, 9-11 truth guy. And uh, that was the really, the thing that I still don't understand. That's what I know. Uh, there's so few places that actually uh, you can get your information from. That just, it right down to the fact that we're living in a complete, you know, it's pretty much all out fascism. They pretty much made the decision to go to pull out fascism, in my opinion. I mean, that's, that's what the, they can call it whatever they want. But that was, what, 16, 17 years ago? And I, I made it a uh, habit, actually, of uh, telling people, you know, I mean, how can you not? And uh, pretty much cost me my job as a taxi driver. I mean, I got in so many uh, problems with people that uh, not just for telling them about 9-11, but for telling the cops when I got pulled over for going to court and, and bringing it up in court. <laughs> And uh, using that point, which I don't think is insane, if uh, somebody's going to say that, like, for instance, so I cook every night, I cook out in my backyard, I cook my dinner, and uh, it was two days ago that uh, somebody called on me, and of course, yeah, I know there's fire, uh, fire, forest fires going on, but it uh, has nothing to do with me being able to cook my dinner in an enclosed area. And uh, so the, the uh, fireman comes over and he uh, tells me that I have to put it out, just like that. Ah. And I say, I'm not just, right. So I just say, I'm not putting it out. I mean, you could come and you could look to see that it's safe. And I showed him, but I'm not going to put it out just because you tell me. And uh, he says, no, you're going to put it out. And it, so it's logical to me. I know it sounds crazy to everybody else, but it's logical to me. To go right to Nile Park, and that's what I do to people. And I start giving them a lecture about how buildings can't free fall into their own footprint, and it's on tape, and everybody knows it, and it was 16 years ago. And so that kind of intensity, you know, I'm sort of like a uh, trooper in high gear all the time. But I've managed to stay out of jail so far. Well, that's good. So we got uh, John on the call. What's going on, Wayne? One, two, one, two. Check one two. Um, yeah, your your line's really bad. It's not that good, caller. I, um, I I can hear you, but it's really not uh, the best call quality. It's kind of um, it's kind of hard to make out what you're saying. Uh, is there another? Do you have another phone you can use, maybe? Well, just to try to get to what it is, does it sound like it's too echoey, like I'm in a bathroom? Yeah, it sounds really echoey. Okay, so I'm inside the bank, so I'm going to go outside the bank. Oh, you're like inside a bank vault or something? <laughs> Doing a heist? Inside of, like, the deal. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, if... Uh, Whenever you're done uh, going through all the uh, safety deposit boxes and everything, maybe your call is bad reception inside those bank vaults, from what I understand. I've never been inside one, but. Okay, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? That's a little bit better, yeah. It doesn't sound so echoey. Okay, 
Okay, I see if my connection now. Uh, it's a matter of if I'm getting a good Wi-Fi signal. And it's probably going to be background noise from cars and such. So tell me if it gets too bad. All right. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, man, some big I get with the boy you and John do blows away. I'm a big fan of what the Irving does and Joseph Atwell. And it's amazing to me that you guys don't have uh, a huge following. I don't really necessarily believe the YouTube numbers or whatever feedback you might get from downloads, but it does seem like there would be more people in the chat should you be getting the listenership I think you guys deserve. And it's hard to explain that. Yeah, I think there's some chicanery going on with the, uh, definitely YouTube, I know that. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's also hard to tell what kind of um, listenership that you actually have because it's hard to get, I think, uh, accurate statistics on all of that. But uh, yeah, that's why, I mean, I'll throw my email out there, Chris, at hoaxbusterscall.com. And if people want to drop an email and say hi and whatever, say they've been listening, that's always good to get uh, feedback, you know. But, um, yeah, other than that, I think it's kind of difficult to get accuracy on any of your uh, stats because it's uh, kind of all over the place when you're trying to trying to figure that out. So it's um, kind, of a, kind of an open guess, I guess, what, whatever uh that but um yeah it's uh it's good to hear from new new callers um so y you said you lived in new jersey and you moved out to oregon and you're off the grid and uh, that's um yeah that's a good goal to get off the get off the grid it's um more more independence which i think is always good how about like uh I guess around Oregon, it's pretty easy to find maybe grass-fed beef or better better quality food sources up there. There's a lot of uh, people that are into that type of thing, from what I understand. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, definitely, uh, as far as beef, there's so many small in the Oregon coast area, southern Oregon area, and pretty much what I've seen around Oregon and Washington there is a lot of, it's mostly independent. When it comes to cows, they're just small farms of people who uh, sell their meat. And they, they feed them grass. So it's really uh, some other parts of the country that are doing the big uh, part of uh, the um, corporate farming. But, uh, as far as cows and beef and stuff, it's completely safe out here. And there's, uh, everybody got chickens, you know, my neighbors have chickens and, uh, I don't have chicken yet, but that's just because uh, basically I can get the eggs for cheaper than it costs to feed the chicken. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I grow, but I grow my own food, uh, all vegetables. I'm, I'm slowly turning my whole lawn into uh, a perennial vegetable garden with uh, leafy greens that come back every year. And I grow cannabis. Uh, it's completely legal to grow. Ah, yeah. Um, have you ever made any? Uh oil hemp oil out of the uh cannabis from what i understand that's really good um health supplement 
cures cancer and all of that. Rick Simpson oil, if anybody wants to check into that. I've heard that that works really good. Uh, it's not too hard to make. Um, yeah, Nathan was saying he, he had made some at one point, and it was uh, really effective. Um, yeah, I, I would like to try that at some point. Um, I, the question was I had was, like, does it get you high? And it does get you high from what Nathan was telling me, but it's like you quickly build up a tolerance so that you can get the medicinal properties without getting super high because you can get the tolerance built up so that you're not, um, yeah, you're not getting buzzed up every time you take it. So it, because you're eating it, it's different than smoking it, I guess. So it, um, it doesn't have the, uh, doesn't have the effect after you're kind of using it for a while. So you can just kind of use it medicinally and, uh, if you're not into really getting real high, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a marijuana smoker, so I'm, I'm not really into being high and all that, but uh, I, I would like to try that uh, hemp oil for different things. Sounds pretty good. So uh, according to the Rick Simpson, he's, He's advocates this uh, hemp oil, and he's saying that it's sort of a miracle drug, and that it uh, he's put it on. He had third degree burns. He said he put it on third degree burn, and it he healed up, and uh, all this different thing. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that sounds like a pretty extraordinary claim, but um, I, I don't uh, rule it out. I think that there's uh, some validity to that, and there's also a lot of people that swear by it, so. It'd be a good thing to try. CBDs are great for arthritis, says Psy Girl. I guess that's cannabinoids. Uh, rub it on your arthritis. Some salve. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, Nathan was saying, too, that uh, he tried the... Uh, what Paul recommended to me, Paul from New York, said if you got any kind of uh, melanoma, whatnot, growing, you know, pre-skin cancer or what have you, melanoma, um, you take the baking soda and you take the coconut oil, take the raw coconut oil, you kind of mix it into a paste and you apply it. And, uh, yeah, Nathan said that it worked for him. And he also said he does Bates method and that works for him. So there's another testimonial anecdotal evidence. And uh, I've used that too. And it seems very effective with the paste. And um, so, yeah. So I don't know if John, John Adams is just listening or is he uh, predisposed? I'm here. One, two, check. Yeah, I hear you good, man. You hear me good? Yeah, I was trying to get you to chime in earlier, but if you didn't, you couldn't hear me. Uh, you know, some yeah, something weird happened with the Skype. It kept ringing, like it said I was connected, but it was still ringing. I don't know what happened. So. Oh yeah, it does stuff like that. I don't. That's uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of squirrely. So what uh. 
What's new, man? Mm, nothing much. What, um, what were you talking about at the uh, starting off with the call? I was talking about that uh, podcast you referenced, the uh, Joe Rogan on Jordan Peterson and that uh, that Brett oh, okay. Weinstein guy, and uh, just making the point that if you're going to go into postmodernism. It's like evolutionism is your go-to philosophy, you know. It pretty much backs it up philosophically or... Yeah, you know, it's funny. A um, little, little bit of a synchronicity. It's funny after um, I listened to that podcast and sent it to you. Um, took my daughter down to the library and I just happened to run across a book I've been looking for for years. Um, probably just got you know dumped in the uh, dumped in the dollar bin uh, when school got out over summer. And uh, this is a pretty crazy book, but it has to do with you know it, it basically tells you the story we might, we might have to do a podcast on this book but it's called the turning point and it's by Fritoff capra and it's called science society and the rising culture ah and um just so you know anybody who's interested in purchasing this book the two recommendations on the back okay uh the the first recommendation is from Carl Rogers. Okay. And, and the second recommendation is from R.D. Lang. Okay. So um, both of those guys are MK Ultra do- doctors. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh. So so you know it's so you know it's going to be good, but um, but it's funny because um. You know, it, it's like I was saying is those guys are kind of trying to solve the current, you know, they're, they're talking and having a discussion about the current uh, uh, crises within society from the perspective of there is no invisible hand except for the one that is, you know, the market and evolution. Right, but there's no, but they're not coming at it from a perspective of there's any, you know, manipulative forces causing these things just to manifest themselves into reality. No, it's just it's because of the market and it's because of evolution, and it's kind of funny because um, they actually say a bunch of stuff that you've said before. Mm-hmm. But you've said it within the context of, of pointing out how ridiculous evolution is. Yeah. Because there was one point in the argument where they said, well, you know, like, like when they're talking about Hitler. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, actually, Hitler's like right in line with evolution theory. Right? Yeah, that's what I said earlier. I was saying it's. Oh, you did? Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> well, yeah, Mein Kampf has. All this, all these kind of uh, allusions to uh, evolution theory, but, but Chris, is like full of. But, but see, Jordan Peterson said he was incorrect. 
that Hitler was in incorrect. I, yeah, he was saying it was it, it was correct, but he was incorrect. He, he was he basically said he was correct evolution wise, but it was a bad thing to do. <laughs> Why? I, did he ever? Yeah, I was trying to figure out like what what was the rationale behind why why Hitler well, was uh, doing bad here, stuff. Here's here's what they were arguing, and this is kind of funny because this is where evolution believers, this is where the religious believers get caught up. And you know, anybody who's hearing this for the first time, um, I'm just coming at this objectively. Chris is just coming at this objectively. This isn't an argument for. At least for me personally, I don't speak for Chris on this, but this isn't an argument for creation. It's an argument that you can't prove evolution. Okay, so I'm not saying X equals creation theory because evolution is the opposite of that. I'm saying show me some damn proof of evolution already, and no one can. Okay? So, what about Tiktaalik, John? <laughs> See, so so what he's basically saying, you know, what those two guys, Weinstein and um, and uh, Peterson, are saying in that interview is that, well, yeah, evolution. You know, you can see how how postmodernism arose, and and um, you know, you know, there's another thing that that. Um, that Peterson was wrong about is saying that postmodernism arose out of so, solely arose out of Marx. Yeah, which is not true, huh? Yeah. Well, I would say that, and I'm not, I'm not tooting our horn here, but there's not a lot of other people out there who would would point out the wet, you know, like in in our California series or in our discussions of art. Um. I don't think either they get it, they, they don't get it, or it's ignored. The fact that the West plays the controlled opposition in the rise of postmodernism, because where was all that stuff able to um, play itself out in? The West. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So it wasn't technically just Mark. I mean, it wasn't even Marxist at all, technically, if you're looking at it from the perspective those guys look at it, where there is no, um, to uh, quote a certain commenter, um, off-chessboard entities um, uh, controlling the way that our culture goes. Um, and if you read just, you know, kind of the mainline history stuff like uh, Francis Stoner Saunders' Cultural Cold War, you would have to ask yourself if if the purpose of promoting abstract art, abstract music, um, avant-garde type of stuff was to fight the Russians, why would you promote leftist communist art, postmodernist art, to fight the communists? <laughs> I know, that makes no sense. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, so, so, so... Uh, you know, for him to say that postmodernism is born out of Marx, I understand where he's coming from that that particular argument. I understand that that's kind of what you're taught in school is that that's where postmodernism kind of comes out of and comes out of, um, you know, the Frankfurt School and all that type of stuff. 
Um, but that's n- incorrect. You know. Well, don't you, you have Darwinism and Marxism sort of coming to prominence around the same general era, and uh, along with um, where you know you have this um, uh, also a lot of other thing other things within so-called science with the with the uh, Lyell and the uh, long ages of the Earth and all of that sort of it and dinosaurs and, and all of that stuff sort of like magically appearing on the scene sort of in unison and yeah, and, and yeah. We, we talked about this like a couple of weeks ago maybe a month ago where all this stuff kind of goes hand in hand that you know people tend to look that you know if you if you live in america you, you're you're looking at capitalism and capitalism is is good and Marxist and communism is bad, right? Right. And it's like, no, they're they're one and the same thing. Yeah. There is no there's no difference between the two. They both rose up um, on purpose. See, pe- people, um, a lot of people still don't understand the idea of controlled opposition. In order for something to exist, it has to have an opposite in this system. In nature, there are no opposites. Chris and I agree on this. Mm-hmm. There are no opposites in nature. There's only um, man and woman are not opposites of each other. No, they're they one. Are, they're one complementary unit. Yes, they are complementary. Earth, wind, air, you know, water, fire are not opposites. They all work together. And there's no, okay, light and darkness. Like darkness no. is just simply the is not an opposite of light. It's just the no. it's just the absence of light. That's it. And and they both serve a purpose, but they are you know the way it's framed within our context, the way it gets framed in the ancient mysteries and all the poopla mumbo jumbo, you know archetypal symbolism that we're given is that you know Horus is the god of light and his brother Set comes and stabs him in the eye every evening and kills him because they are fighting a constant battle right? Uh huh and winter is fighting you know winter is uh, battling fall and summer and spring they're all battling each other it's a giant battle it's like no that's not the way the earth works no nature doesn't operate <laughs> that way no uh-uh no you know even if you you know even couching something within the context of oh you know the cheetah killed the gazelle and the way the way it gets framed to you within the you know you know, remember um, when you're a kid, you know, maybe some younger listeners aren't going to remember this, but there used to be this show on um, with uh, Merlin Perkins, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Remember oh, yeah. That? Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Love that and show when could, I was a kid. Right. Me too. Yeah. You could uh-huh. stay, you know, come, come home from school and watch a cheetah tear a gazelle to shreds right on live TV. <laughs> yeah. But the way it's kind of. Yeah, the way it's framed is in the 
is in the survival of the fittest type of, you know, look how terrible this is. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's just the cold. That's the cold way. You know, that's the that's the cold, bleak yeah. uh, world you're living in right there, right? Nature's a cold, hard bitch. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's that's nature working in harmony. Because there was no manufactured culture for that cheetah telling it to eat the gazelle, right? Right. Like we have. And there was another interesting thing um, that was brought up on there. Um, uh, was, was it there or was it something else I was listening to? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember if it was that discussion or something else, but they were talking about how um, how you can use a diet to how you can use diet to. Um, oh yeah, it was on that conversation because they were talking about like Jews eating pork and or Muslims eating pork or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, they said one you know one of them said well yeah diet is a is a great um, organizer. Oh yeah, yeah. That you can, and I was thinking about that. I'm all yeah, but nobody's talking about, you know, nobody's talking about vegetarianism in the current postmodern world being the great organizer, right? Yeah, it is too. It's like, especially you're bringing in this animal rights uh, component. And it's um, this sort of uh, another example of sort of this us against them mentality. You can kind of get this sort of uh, uh, moral high ground on everybody. And it's um, and then it's another sort of identity politics sort of uh, <laughs> compo- no, uh, component to it, too. Absolutely. I, I agree. I think and I think the conclusion of their little spiel was. Listen. Evolution is, you know, as you said, a cold-hearted bitch. Not nature. Evolution is. Mm-hmm. And the way we get around these problems is is by using our intellect. Mm. And that's the that's the next step in evolution, is by you. You know, we've talked about this before. Is like, it's about you deciding not to eat the meat, Chris. I'm not saying those guys were saying that, but. It's it's about, you know, like I said, like Hitler was correct with evolution. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what they were saying. Hitler was correct evolution-wise, but he made a bad decision because intellectually he was incorrect. And they don't – this is um, this is a false paradigm. Yeah, it's kind of predicated on this idea that, uh, well, racism is sort of predicated on the idea like there's some distinctions, really fundamental distinctions between so-called races of people. And, I mean, where is the evidence for that? I mean, just really uh, objective evidence. I'm unaware of any. Uh, But it is definitely, um, you're seeing this now, especially with the, with this, um, this, these so-called discussions or conversations, 
and the alt-right now or however you want to characterize them whatever title they want to adopt for themselves are go- are now kind of g- going towards this um th- these these ideas about iq and race and that's one thing they're kind of um pointing to the idea these ideas that oh certain races have lower iqs uh why uh, the white races have higher typically higher iqs this is why we see this disparity of outcome and there's not going to be these equalities so we have to recognize these facts these scientific facts and it's all like very reminiscent of like the eugenics uh philosophy it's it's the bell curve yeah, yeah, that they're that, they're, yeah. Re, they're they're bringing back Charles Murray, and um, I remember not too long ago, I think Stefan Molyneux had Charles Murray on. Oh, there you go, yeah, yeah. Stefan Molyneux. He's one of the uh, big big uh, progenitors of a lot of this stuff. Interestingly enough, if you go read the Bell Curve, which I, I've read parts of it, I've skimmed it. It's it's a very boring book, and um, you know, if you're not familiar with this book, The Bell Curve, this uh, conservative sociologist, uh, Charles Murray, and another guy, I can't remember his name, wrote a book about IQ and race in the 90s, in the early 90s, I think it was. And um, they basically got ostracized for it. Um uh, which that in itself could be some sort of manufactured thing because, you know, it was basically the left coming out and ostracizing him, not the right wing. And then, you know, now he's kind of the they're bringing him back out again and kind of saying, oh, see, you were right, Mr. Murray. You were right about all of this IQ stuff. And it's funny because the one thing that doesn't get talked about in that book is he basically says the smartest people in the world are Jews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. He says particularly Ashkenazi Jews. So. Ah. So. Yeah, wasn't Einstein um, a Jew, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh. Yeah, that's a, that's a subject we broached many times, although, um, if you were to read the uh, comments on the blog, uh, someone would allude to the fact that we've never discussed Jews and we've never let people come on here and talk about Jews before, which is absolutely nonsense. Um, well, maybe we uh, should but, do uh, a call about uh, I would because I, I was thinking about this recently because I, I was looking at uh, the whole Zionism construct. Maybe we should do a call and deal with that. Like, mm-hmm. when did it originate? It's like originates in what the late eighteen hundreds, right? Uh, and yeah, um, I could I could do a whole. Uh, I'm I'm pretty well versed in the beginnings of it. Like, we'd have to go back into like I've, I've talked about before. You'd have to go back into the manufactured orthodoxy of Judaism that didn't that never existed. And then around the 1700s in Germany, they totally manufactured Orthodox Judaism. Um, it's completely made up religion. Has no um, uh, 
basis in anything whatsoever. And there's a whole book written on it uh, by a rabbi, actually, who talks about it. Uh, Marvin Antelman wrote it way back in the 70s. He wrote a book called To Eliminate the Opiate. Mm. And he talked about how um, how Orthodox Judaism is made up and, Jew, you know, uh, the Jews are communists and... Uh, that was all tied into Jewish Freemasonry and that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't, we don't, we don't absolve anybody's, uh, bad activity on this call whatsoever, you know? Right. But, um, I don't believe it's tied to any one particular group. I, there's no way it could possibly be tied to one particular group because they all work in tandem together. Yeah, and there's definitely a, a uh, Zionist contingencies out there, contingency out there that's like, you know, tr- truly believes in uh, the tenets of Zionism and all that. No doubt about it. I, I mean, I don't really downplay the influence of uh, Judaism or the, you know, the whole Jewish construct. I don't, I don't, I don't downplay the influence of it in our uh, current society. I don't. I think it's very ex- extremely influential, obviously. So it's you know, not, I, yeah. I never told this story. I've told the story to you, Chris, but I've never told this story to the listeners. This is pretty funny. Chris and I were, and I won't mention the guy's name because I don't, mm, if people talk to me in confidence, I don't ever give out their names or anything. But there was a guy we were, we were trying, I was trying to get him to come on and do an interview with us and he had done a series of um of videos proving that the uh that the concentration camps were just that only concentration camps and that they weren't death camps and he he specifically you could probably find this guy's uh, youtube stuff he specifically did a movie debunking the Steven Spielberg movie about the survivors and specifically focusing on a lady's pretty ridiculous story about how she, um, about how she had these diamonds that she kept from her family and that she kept, that she would eat them every day and poop them out and then eat them again (laughs) and held, held on to them. Till she survived the the death camp, and um, she was able to save the diamonds by eating diamonds every day. <laughs> right? Yeah. These, so, anyways, yeah. so so I was talking to this guy. I was saying, "Yeah, you should come on, and you know, we'll talk about your movie or whatever." And and he said, "Okay, well, I'm going to put out another film. So wait till I do that." And I said, and then I started like poking around on this guy's stuff, and see, this is what always gets me is like. This is when you get this is um, where I get into the area where I wouldn't want to interview some of these people mm-hmm. um, because they're not objective. It, it's it's not coming at it from an objective stance. They actually really do hate Jews. And yeah, and um, me and Chris don't hate Jews, but we don't believe that um, six million people were cooked in ovens when that's physically absolutely impossible. It's just ridiculous. 
And and the thing of it is, this guy, he came back and he said, um, I, I emailed him later. I said, oh, you know, did you, you know, what's going on with your movie? Do you want to do an interview again? And he's like, actually, I don't think I'm going to do interviews. Um, I'm rethinking some of the stuff that um, I'm, I'm, he said he was rethinking whether the Holocaust was real or not because he had been saying that it wasn't, right? Ah, okay. But then he said he, I think, oh, you know, okay, I remember now. I I called him up and asked him because that movie Denial had come out, the one about um, the David Irving trial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar right. with that, yeah. Yeah, so... I haven't um, seen it, but. Yeah, it's on my watch list, but I just can't get around to seeing it. But anyways, the um, I said, do you want to come on and talk about that? And he's like, actually, now I'm, I'm starting to rethink my position on this. And I'm not kidding. This is what this guy said. He said, you know, I'm thinking that the idea that the Holocaust is a hoax is actually probably put out by the Jews. Oh, really? And he thinks that, so he said... I actually, you know, maybe, maybe there was a real Holocaust and it probably needs to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm all, okay, sounds good. No problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. We don't need to interview you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I'll never mind. Well, that's kind of in line with um, a lot of the sort of more extreme end of the whole white nationalist thing. Where it's like, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's, that is, you're going to run into that a lot. I just had somebody comment on a, a video on my YouTube channel that's basically um, running me down the, running me up the, 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 running me down a rail or whatever, lambasting me about not talking about the Jews, you know. I get this all the time. Because uh, I was like, not, where, where are the 9-11 victims? It's like, oh, I'm just trying to cover up the fact that the Jews killed 3,000 and they need to be brought to justice and we need to, we need to get rid of all the Jews. <laughs> Basically, essentially, that's the, 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 the sort of the, the, the talking point of this whole idea. And it's like, it's so clear to me. I mean, it's just, it's just like the flat earth thing. It's kind of like... It's, it's so yeah it's feds it's yeah it's yeah feds it's just like are, can you be more um obvious i mean just obviously drawing the the connection between anybody who criticizes the official line and then coming in and then drawing trying to build this association between that and i want to kill jews and yeah yeah and yeah, I agree. And and see, the thing of that is, is there is, see, this is a very complex issue. This is not something that you could come down, uh, how do you even say it? See, I've, I mean, we've talked about this before, like, okay, so there are Jewish groups that actually run the racist groups on purpose. Oh, yeah. Right, like Which the ADL and the Ku Klux Klan, they are, I they're, bet you yeah, they would have a lot yeah, of it. In the same. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, yeah. Right? And, and the FBI, it's like and, it's yeah. like a, I've talked about this before. 
or the um, I heard Alex Jones one time talking about his wife. Ex-wife who worked at Alpita, they're all meat eaters. Right, right. They had a had yeah. a steak dinner meetup, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, they they're all meat eaters at PETA, and that's what you get with these different groups. It's not. That's what that's what I'm saying, and I you know that's what. Chris and I are saying is like these guys they sit in a boardroom and they decide it's not that it's not there are no different groups they're one and they're all one and the same well to like Jordan Peterson brought that up on that call it's, it's about like okay these people that are um, out there as operatives and stuff they're not ideologues they're pragmatists you talk about that with like these PETA people too, and these a lot of a lot of these people that are pushing veganism, and they're paid to do it, and they come across as like they have this strong ideological or philosophical uh, convictions that motivate them. But no, they're pragmatists. They they're they're getting paid, they're getting or or they're getting uh, revenue from whatever kind of uh, supplements or whatever thing they're pushing on their channel or whatever they're doing. They're operatives, but um, yeah, they eat meat. They don't. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother their conscience. That they're um, there's there's these class classification of people, and they don't have any regard for that. And they don't have any compunction about uh, misrepresenting themselves or anything. And that's very common in our system. Yeah, there. There's another clip I ran across uh, the other day. Which was very uh, interesting. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll find it. But the, the, you can find it on YouTube. There's a rabbi. There's a rabbi reading from Mein Kampf to his mm-hmm. congregation, or what? It, you know, whatever you call it. I, I don't know what synagogue Jews call Jews call their congregation. But um, um, and he was reading from it, and he was saying, and it's so funny because the um. <laughs> and there's a bunch of these videos if you just go if you type into YouTube if you type in Hitler was a good guy there's like tons of videos that come up with that title right oh really okay yeah and there's this one of this rabbi reading Mein Kampf to his congregation and the video is called look rabbi says Hitler was a good guy and that's not really what he was saying he was just saying that it's this rabbi is it's very interesting very bizarre um uh, uh testimony he's giving where he's reading from that and he's saying look here's what hitler says hitler says that communists were jews and that jews ran the you know massacres in in russia and hitler was right he was he was correct about that it says it right here in mon Kampf, and that's really what happened He's all, and he said that the the bad part, and see that this is where we get into some strange areas here. Is um, uh, he he's also talking about Wagner and how Wagner wrote in his book. Um, v- Wagner was he he didn't like the fact that um, 
that Felix Mendelssohn, the composer, was a Jew who had assimilated into German society, right? Mm, okay. So there was there was this rivalry between them, and what he was pointing out was, hey, you're a Jew, you should be a Jew. You, you're not German. You shouldn't assimilate, right? Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna destroy my culture by assimilating, even if you adopt everything that I that I do. You're still assimilating, and it's gonna just that fact is ruining the culture, right? Ah, okay. Don't now see. Here's the thing. This is where a lot of this stuff is born out of this. Like like you were saying, it's it's out of this time period that kind of comes around this you know turn of the century, end of the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, about the mid eighteen hundreds, right? Yeah, and this type of stuff did not exist before that, okay? Because, like we've talked about before, the only way that races, you know, quote-unquote so-called races even exist by the time, you know, when they start using that word race, that's, you know, only through Darwinian, uh, you know, um, garbage that they start using the word race to describe people. Yeah, that was the uh, subtitle of uh, Darwin's book, uh, something on the order of favored races, and you can go find that. Yeah, and and um, yeah, and the word race does derive from, uh, you know, like like raza, and you know, and the Spanish, Latin, and all that type of stuff. Um, but it doesn't mean exactly the same thing. It ta- it's kind of they kind of took a word and turned it into something. That, that's what I mean. It's like there, people did identify as themselves, but they didn't. I I mean, we've talked about this before. People have assimilated into other people's cultures uh, since the beginning of time. At least that's what it appears like, right? Uh huh. Oh yeah, that's what that's what the history is is one big assimilation, and then by the time you get into Rome, they figured out, they weaponized assimilation. I'm sure I'm sure previous cultures did as well, but it's you know at least documented uh, in Caesar's Gallic Wars. He's talking about actually using forced assimilation as a weapon to destroy culture, right? Mm-hmm. But um, by the time you get up into the, you know, the German culture, whatever, um, and there were these certain individuals who felt very strongly about what it was to be German, um, you that's something that's actually born out of, of uh Darwinism and industrial revolution and all that type of stuff. I'm not saying that the German pride that came that came was direct was directly from that, but it's a product of the era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't really you know, didn't really have any grassroots origins. No, it's it's coming up uh, as a time period of of this re you know. Um, this reinvigoration of uh, this idea of digging back into the myths. So that's one, you know, it, it's um, it's interesting uh, to think about that because Wagner was 
Wagner was uh, he he was very he uh, what was his um what was his uh, piece was it Tristan and Isolod? Can't remember if that's if that's Wagner or not. I, I think it is, I think it is, but um, I'm not at the computer. But um, in any case, he 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 wrote very sexually charged music. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it all it all revol- it revolved around myths, and it was kind of like the um heavy. It was kind of like the rock and roll or rap of its day. Yeah, they went into that on uh, Jan Irving's uh, with uh, Hans Oder, right? Talking about Richard Wagner. I don't Wagner. know. Oh, oh, did they? I, I, I don't know if I've heard that one. Um, I gotta get caught. I gotta get caught up on my Gnostic media, but um, but yeah, it's the uh, whatever whatever it is they um. Yeah, he, his music was kind of sexually charged, and they had a. Um, there, you, you know, it's that time period where, where people start digging back into the, the myths, and then, um, like we were talking about with with nineteen eighty four, similar is is along with the old myths kind of being dug back into to kind of look for some sort of foundation. Mm-hmm. Um. They bring about sexual revolutions as well, which that's what you saw in Germany, and of course the Jews get blamed for bringing bringing about the uh, sexualization of Berlin in some circles. But the culture seems to be going in that direction from the time of dark of the late eighteen hundreds. In fact, the world seems to be going in that direction. Well, we talked about before, and this came up on that uh, that discussion with uh, Frank Albo about the uh, world the world expos, and they had the great exposition. I think it was around the mid eighteen hundreds, and and I, I, I was trying to get um, a bead on what that all is about. Where, and I and I think I've I've kind of got more of a better understanding where you have this. Um, sort of uh well well you have this expo and then it's sort of this the eyes of the world are on this uh big you know contrived event but then at the same time too is also which 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 many of these things well any of these things are you know these big um expositions are they're mainly uh it, it in one respect is just um uh merchants and that's one thing that w- was um, prevalent in this uh, World Expo with uh, Crystal Palace and all that. And that's where I- dinosaurs got introduced. That was around the time of Charles Darwin. Uh, that was um, – and, and then sort of the uh, – what you're talking about here with, with, uh, with you know, where all this, this stuff kind of comes – culminates in um, th- this one particular period of time and uh and i think too that this is also one important component of it is it's tied with um uh mercantilism like uh there's globalization yeah exactly and then this astana they just had the world expo 2017 there and what is uh frank talking about with um the their the the theme 
of this expo is the uh, of these three major uh, global crises that are facing us, which is uh, the um, uh, global warming, the threat of uh, extreme radical uh, religions, and uh, what was the other one? I, but that that is like the theme of these like these world expos. Terrorism. Ter- yeah, terrorism, and uh, I think that goes along with extremism. But um, terrorism, global warming, and uh, what was the other one? Nuclear holocaust. Oh or yeah, right. Nuclear. Nu- yeah, nuclear. Uh, yeah, the an- three most yeah. the three most fake things on the planet. <laughs> and. Uh, but see, yeah, it's all, and two, another thing is like where you, you're coming into this uh, green technology, and this World Expo is going to be showcasing all, oh, new solar panels, new stuff, and it's so there's this incentivizing, and I think this was what was going on too with the um, the Great Expo, and bringing in uh, these naturalistic, materialistic philosophy, Darwinism, and all that was um the incentivizing through uh mercantilism and everything and they were getting we're seeing the same thing with this uh world expo 2017 and the themes that are uh central to that and so we're looking at another sort of uh big shift in this so-called century of change i think that uh these world expos are sort of these hubs to disseminate not only the uh, new products for the new uh, coming age, but the new ideas that sort of are going to, you know, make you a lot of money if you're on board with the new, you know, way things are going to be configured in the future. Yes. And, you know, it's funny because um, this book I was just telling you about, the Turning Point, Science, Society, and the Rising Culture by Fritof Kapera. His last chapter of the book is called The Passage to the Solar Age. Okay. And he, this is this is kind of a weird thing. It's one of those uh, many things that I've talked about before on the call where I have a hard time articulating it, but I can see it in my mind what he's talking about. Okay. Now, this is going to sound bizarre, but you know how we have solar panels on, you know, they're pushing the solar panel thing? Yes, definitely. Everywhere, everywhere, all over, everywhere. Okay, he talks about that in this book. He talks about how homes are going to have solar panels, and, and this book's written in... Um, 1982, okay? Okay. So he talks about how in the future, homes are going to all be equipped with solar panels. But, okay, now this is this is something that we talked about as well. Um, well, to give an example, if you go onto the blog right now, there's a post with uh, the, the musician Mac DeMarco. And he's kind of popular, and he is wearing a Freemason shirt, and he's singing a song about Freemasonry. It's kind of a an externalization of Freemasonry to the younger generation, right? Yeah, I posted that on hoaxbusterscall.com. Right. Okay. Now, what 
the chapter title in this book is The Passage to the Solar Age. What this guy is saying here in a weird, bizarre way is that the sp- is that when when you put in the future when you have your house equipped with solar panels, that is going to add to the cultural wallpaper of the spiritual passing into the solar age that we are all moving into in our minds. Ah. Uh, hmm, okay. okay. And that by acting these things out, he talks about everything from changing the way that we live. Um, he talks about all of these different cultural changes, things that we see manifesting ourselves into society. He talks about as you adopt these things, you are passing into the the solar age. Well, he explains that the solar age is is not only a thing where we're going to harness the energy of the sun and use that instead of using coal and fuel and you know quote unquote fossil fuels. He says that is going to be the age of the sun god. Mm. Yeah. Makes and sense. it's meta you know, it's allegorical as much as it is physical. It's as above, so below. What's happening in the sky is gonna be happening on the sun. Which is interestingly enough, something I forgot to mention when we were talking about the X and the hourglass. Uh-huh. If you look at an X, an X is two pyramids touching each other. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's it's a pyramid in the sky coming down and touching the pyramid of the earth. And that's also like the seal of Solomon, right? Or the uh Israeli flag. Oh, okay. The, well, those are two those are two triangles opposite. They're facing the opposite way. If you just look at an X, you cross, you know, you cross it. An X is a pyramid or or an hourglass. It's a pyramid coming down from heaven and touching the pyramid on the ground, right? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. See what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's as above, so below, spirit and matter meeting, spirit and matter colliding, right? Mm-hmm. And it's allegorical for this. This is uh, what he talks about here in this book. And... Um, See, let me let me find let me find this. Uh, t- go on with what you're saying while while I find this little part where he talks about the solar panels. Um, well, I w- I'm going to add to that too about the exposition. Is that uh, so? If you uh, so if you think about okay, these new realities are going to be introduced um, worldwide. You know, this world exposition, let's say of 1851 as an example and then you know they were it was the first uh they built a sort of uh dinosaur uh garden with a representation of dinosaurs so that was new on the scene and think about it in terms of um there was a lot of uh showcasing of uh manufactured items industrial revolution was kind of full swing uh then you could think about too the popularization of of dinosaurs and how much uh, money to be made off of the popularization of dinosaurs in the form of 
especially stuff that's sort of geared toward children, uh, you know, classroom, uh, you know, textbooks, uh, dinosaur models, dinosaur stuffed animal, whatever it happens to be. And then sort of being like an insider and then with the knowledge of, you know, this is something that's going to be, uh, it, it going to be, uh, put into the mass mind and the mass consciousness. And then there's always this, uh, merchandising aspect of it as well. And like a lot of people, you know, look at a lot of stuff and say, well, you know, it's just, put out there because they can make money off it. and it's like no well that's an aspect of it and that certainly reinforces ideas and perpetuates them you know if there can be um, merchandising attached to it the popularization of something but that's it's not the point but it's it's uh, definitely an aspect of it so certainly with um, any of these world expositions that's that's uh, a, a major component of it so they yeah, have solar panels and, you know, something that you can, um, you know, turn into, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a, something's going to be put more of these on the market and push these things. And, you know, this World Exposition 2017 is definitely sort of this, uh, the, the theme of like all these, these uh, earth saving technologies. And, and we're also seeing it too with, uh, sort of this worship of Elon Musk and so so he's this persona that's put out there and he's pushing electric cars and that's going to be the future and it's going to it's going to save us all and it's like all this lofty rhetoric surrounding it and it's like uh I I always wondered too not to get off subject but like with electric cars like how the hell are you going to take uh electricity that's generated in a power plant and you're going to transfer it across power lines, you know, hundreds of miles, and then put it into a car. And that's going to be more efficient than just putting <laughs> the direct uh, energy extraction out of gasoline. Well, and that's going to well, be more Chris, efficient. It doesn't make any sense. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Capra tells you how it's going to work out here in the solar age, actually. That's funny you bring that up. Okay, good. I, I, found, the, I found the passage here. And this whole chapter needs to be needs to be read. It's pre it's pretty hardcore. Um, new visions of reality. Here we need to keep in mind that the production of liquid fuels from agricultural products will not sustain our transportation system at its present level. To do so would require massive alcohol production from farms, which would be an irresponsible use of our soils because it would cause the rapid erosion, as Wes Jackson has argued emphatically. Although biomass is a renewable resource, the soil in which the gr it grows is not. We can certainly expe expect significant alcohol production from biomass, including crops, but a massive alcohol fuel program designed to sustain present needs would deplete our soil at the same rate that we are now depleting our coal, oil, and other natural resources. The way out of this dilemma will be to thoroughly redesign our transportation system, especially in the United States, together with many other aspects of our wasteful and resource-consuming lifestyles. This will not mean lowering our living standards. On the contrary, it'll enhance the quality of our lives. The authoritative, the authoritative studies of our energy options cited above show that the road to a solar future is open. 
Although significant technological advances are to be expected in several areas, we do not have to wait for any technological breakthroughs to embark on this historic transition. What we need most is accurate public information about potential of solar energy, along with corresponding social and economic policies to facilitate the passage to the solar age. Barry Commoner has outlined a detailed scenario for replacing most of the non-renewable energy sources in the United States with solar energy within 50 years. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is 1982. talking about 50 years uh, we're, we're we're headed right there aren't we yep yep okay now everything i'm going to read here has pretty much happened okay this guy is right on the money so this is the plan his proposal does not assume any major technological innovations nor depend on any drastic measures of energy conservation Either of these developments, both of which will almost certainly take place, would significantly shorten the case or shorten and ease the transition period. The key to commoners' sketch of the solar transition is the role of natural gas as the main bridging fuel. Ah. The basic idea is to expand the present production and distribution network of natural gas and then to gradually replace the natural gas with solar methane. To do so, methane-generating plants would be built wherever sufficient biomass is readily available in the form of garbage and sewage in cities of crops, manure, and agricultural residues in farming areas of wood in forest areas and seaweed along the coast and so on. Like natural gas, solar methane could easily be stored as a fuel reserve to balance the natural variations of other solar energy sources, and it would also be used for cogeneration of heat and electricity to conserve energy and reduce environmental pollution. Cogenerators could easily be produced on a large scale by the auto industry, as Fiat has already begun to do so in Italy. The transition from natural gas to solar methane could be so smooth that it would hardly be noticed. In fact, it is already underway in some parts of the United States, for example, in Chicago. According to Commoner's outline, which is, of course, only one of many possible plans, the initial phase of the transition would consist of installing natural gas-fired generators wherever possible and building more extended gas distribution systems to supply them. At the same time, active and passive solar heating would expand alcohol produced from waste and crops, would begin to replace gasoline, and increase amounts of solar methane, produced from biomass would be added to the natural gas in the expanding pipeline system. Within several years, the use of photovoltaic yeah, okay, this is the key part. Within several years, the use of photovoltaic cells and wind generators would expand significantly with the total production of solar energy would gradually increase until it made up about 20% of the total energy budget after the first 25 years. At that stage, halfway through the transition period, solar energy and natural gas together would account for slightly more than half the total U.S. energy budget, which would make it possible to completely eliminate dependence on nuclear power and gasoline. Hmm. Hmm. 
Now, isn't that what's currently happening? Well, let me read this from Astana Expo 2017 to discover future of energy. Expo 2017 in Astana marks a turning point in the development of energy in the future, combining the efforts of a global community to solve the challenges of our time. Uh, then it goes on to say, the world is at the threshold of a technological revolution in the energy sector due to the falling prices of traditional fossil energy sources. Now more and more attention is paid to green energy. According to the World Energy Council, renewable sources currently account for over 30% of the total global installed power generation capacity. In the, in the past 10 years, wind and solar PV have witnessed an explosive average annual growth of 23% and 50% respectively. The theme of Astana Expo 2017, quote, future energy, unquote, is, the rele is as relevant as ever. The exposition is being held at a time when countries are looking for solutions to the objectives set within the COP21 in Paris and COP22 in Marrakech. Over 110 countries, including Kazakhstan, ratified the Paris Agreement, and many of them have adopted roadmaps to sustainably reduce greenhouse gas emissions within the framework of the transition to green technologies. Expo 2017 will become not only a powerful impetus for the development of renewable energy, but also a unique platform for international exchange of experience and ideas, which is extremely important for the implementation of the Marrakech Action Proclamation. This is one of the reasons why 115 countries and 20 international organizations have confirmed their participation in the exposition, and its key sponsors are major global companies such as Shell, Samsung, Cisco, GE, DHL, Siemens, Rostrum, etc., So we're going on 35 years after this book is written, and um, it's interesting. The book's called The Turning Point, and they mentioned that they said this is the turning point. <laughs> mm. For so, um, yeah, it's a plan. All this stuff is planned out. All the the clashing and bashing, the racial tension, the the divide and conquer mechanisms these are all these things are thought about years ahead of time mm -hmm. like in the years. 80s do you remember the 80s much i i do i mean i was around then i do too i don't remember hearing anything about global warming but here's this book going into how oh yeah we absolutely must go into these uh photovoltaic sources of energy and all of that yeah, um, it's funny too because um, the one thing that I've heard people harken back to is that the uh, the what, is, what was it the chlorofluorocarbons? Remember they used to tell us in the in the eighties that was causing the hole in the ozone layer. Yes, uh huh. And it's going right, to kill so, us all. Yeah. Yeah, and so you're. Anytime you you know people used to use the um, aerosol, aerosol uh, deodorant cans, like hairspray right. or well, yeah, and all that, that was funny. At the same time, you had like hair metal, which like they used copious amounts of hairspray. <laughs> I always thought that's that's another interesting. Well, that's that's actually what was causing all of the smog in Los Angeles in the eighties. 
but notice when they brought in <laughs> notice when they brought in grunge, all the smog went away. <laughs> I think the band Poison had their own uh, ozone hole named after them. It was, it was, yeah, it was either them or uh, Ricky or, Rocket. You know, I think it, I think it was a little. I think it was actually a little later when it when um you know Cinderella was playing out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which they were they were originally from Philadelphia. So that when they left, they brought you know a big cloud with them. Is there somebody <laughs> else on the call? Uh, yeah. I think Richard's on there. Is that is that him? Yeah. What's up? Yep. What up? Richard yep. is guilty of cult- Richard is guilty of cultural appropriation. I know that much. What did he do? <laughs> He ate Mexican food the other day. Oh, shit. <laughs> and not only did he eat it, but he made it himself at his own house. Oh, no. And I, I, I actually met Richard last week, and just gathering from what I know about the way people look, Richard is Italian, <laughs> and his, his wife is white. So there's no, I mean, there's no Mexican... Uh, <laughs> Well, it's a conspiracy theory. I confess, I confess, I culturally appropriated some chorizo from a Mexican market locally the other day. Whoa, that's uh, I know that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, I didn't even have any regard for any of that. I just ate it. It was actual chorizo, not soy rizo, huh? No soy rizo, no. Because I go to the health food store over here, and they don't have chorizo with meat in it they have like three different kinds of chorizo but it's not meat and it's like i i, I, just, I don't you know yeah you know that you know that there's a the mason the masons like the phrase i am uh-huh right and I, I don't know if you've seen that pop up in a lot of places now like i am whatever right okay i am uh, Pulse nightclub. Oh yeah. You know I am. I didn't uh, realize that was Charlie Masonic. Yeah. I, I am. I am what I am. Remember, Papa used to say that. Or well, remember the uh, Charlie Hebdo f- attack, and then they. they I am were, Charlie Hebdo. I am Charlie Hebdo. Hashtag. Yeah, that's a Masonic thing. So when you say soy rizo. Anytime you you see the word soy, you got to remember that's Masonic because soy means I am in 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 Spanish. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. So I go to the non Masonic trees. Soy. That's why. That's why you got to avoid soy. It, the soy rizo. <laughs> I am soy. I am. <laughs> I am. I don't think. I don't think Richard's. I don't think Richard's ever watched any Glenn Keeley YouTube's. I. No, I haven't no. watched any YouTube's. No, I don't think. I'm only please, familiar with him from from you guys talking about him. Please go watch Glenn Keeley YouTube's. Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get some good word break word breakdowns. The deeper yeah. meanings. Yes, yeah. there's, yeah. there's, 
There's some amazing ones. The one, the one about the the best one is the one about the um, the sandwich shop. <laughs> what was it the, the bagel the bagel sandwich? Yeah, whoever put that together is is a genius. Uh, uh, I, I know, but rem- but but Keely Keely's serious. He's like implicating like a local bagel shop <laughs> as like being part of the Masonic conspiracy <laughs> and and having. Like the code, like the code for the coming flood of the world is embedded in the bagel sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's like uh, you would think he's really making a lot of reaches there, but I, I don't see. Or like yeah, the Mitt, the Mitt Romney, yeah, Mitt, and Mich- Michigan. Michigan. <laughs> The mitt is the glove that's going to catch the water that comes down from Canada when the ice. But see, see, Keeley's Keeley's already foundationally incorrect. If you were to, you know, because because you know, hearing that stuff from the first time, I, I gave him a little bit of a chance. I was like, wow, okay, this guy's going to be really insightful. And then you find out he believes in evolution theory, and then he also believes in global warming. So. Oh, he believes in global warming too. Okay, I didn't know. Well, that. see, the global warming is what's going to cause all of the ice in Canada to melt and to flood the Earth. <laughs> and see, that's why he stays. Him and Ellen Watt. That's why they live. That's why they live in, uh, you know, the boonies. The boonies of uh, where is it? Um, uh, what's what's what uh, province do they live in? Um, Est- uh, Estonia or something? Estonia? Estonia? No, no. What what is that? I'm trying to think of the province that the, the province, not the city. The it's not on. Is is it Ontario? I think he lives in Ontario, huh? I don't know. I know, yeah, isn't that Estonia? Isn't that in Europe, though? I don't think it would be Estonia. But no, no, that's the city in Canada that... Oh. I'm trying to... Oh, is that? Anyways, oh, but, yeah. huh. but, but he believes that that's, like, that by, at least in the talks that he's given, that he's living right where, you know, the, right the, the, the visor of the cap... You see, because there's going to be a capstone on top of the world. That's what the capstone in, in Masonic yeah. in Masonic literature is referring to, that the earth is going to flood and there's going to be this giant, there's going to be a, a moat, a moat around, around Mother Earth, moat her, M-O-T her, moat her. What mother means means to moat the earth. Isn't to like, a giant like moat. You got to talk about how Lake Superior is going to breach and then go into uh, flushing, flushing New York. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what they say. I heard that my whole life about Long Island. You know, just wait until it gets covered in water. I have I uh, I have two. relatives who actually 
they're <laughs> maybe related to you, John, uh, being that they okay. have the same family name. You know, if, if you tell me how that uh, experiment goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm hoping we can have a result by the end of the year. Uh, we've had one successful trial that I don't know the details of, and two attempts where not enough people showed up because it was too cold. So tonight is the third uh, attempt, and I hope it it goes through. Like, what do you look for when you when you're doing these? Well, I I'm basically the center, uh, and I send out messages, uh, either orally or mentally, mm-hmm. but I have to be at the time surrounded by cats. <laughs> And, and the cats act like repeaters on a local area network. And then at the other end, there are two separate groups, one attempting to decipher what I'm thinking or saying using electronic equipment, the other one using sensory equipment reading the cat's communication. Yeah. Uh, the hope is that at the end of the study, uh, it will be possible to prove in a court of law that uh, there are means of communications beyond that which is used by people above ground. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we're not limited to AM, FM, uh, infrared, ultraviolet, but more important, sensory communications, uh, hair to hair. And maybe that communications network expands from cats to rabbits along the way. Yeah, because you see these other animals full of hair. Yeah. So in a, in a place like the farm, there's likely to be more cats in one area and little or no cats in another area, but that other area might have rabbits. And, uh, so all of that is up in the air. Oh, so we're led to believe, right, that animals just use body uh, language yeah. to communicate. Not true. <laughs> so that, that's how they get that's how they get cell reception up there I'm not sure like what Canada it's pretty crazy well, that, stuff going on well every, everybody listening has to go listen to the rest of that clip where he goes into the cats bats and rats um, <laughs> and then what, what's the um, what's the other thing that he talks about um that the re- the reason he's using cats is because he believes that an- that humans evolved from cats. See, that's the yeah. Uh, he believes, uh, he believes that we're cat. yeah Abyssinian Abyssinian cats. He, hand over power to the bats. <laughs> the bats in a cave are the ones who get across obstacles. 
either a lake or a river or something you need to get to the other side. The bat is a rat with wings. And that's why in baseball they call a batter the guy who can hit the ball in the air and have it drop beyond the players in the front field. And you can get to first base, second base, third base, or if you get it beyond right onto the other side of the fence, you've hit a home run. But a bat and a cat together explore mostly the inside of a cave. All right. A cat, on the other hand, is a big rat without wings, but the ability to climb trees and what have you. Uh, and it goes out of the cave to investigate the world outside. And one of the things that it discovered at one time was a crying child having been evolutionary speaking now a congregation of the proper material uh, elements in a pond of water yeah. gets hit by lightning and a child is born in water sure. and climbs out sure. nine sure. months later. The host is a green. <laughs> this could have happened once every hundred thousand years or every million years because we've had three and a half billion years in which to produce by chance a child <laughs> and every child that was born and there wouldn't have been many would die because there's no nurturer involved and for human beings, you need a nurturer. Guess what? Out of, the ca out of the cave comes one day a mountain lion. <laughs> Lost her babies at birth. Died in the cave. And she goes out looking for a baby. <laughs> Usually they just steal it from another cat. I like how he knows the whole Come story. across this little <laughs> human baby. Hey, sounds good. Grab it by the neck, take it into the cave and feed it. The concept is the story of Tarzan. <laughs> you look at all the Tarzan movies, he was raised by apes, but there is a respect between him and lions. And he's never attacked by lions. Tarzan. Gosh, I love, I love Glenn Keeley. Makes an... Makes plenty of sense. I mean, evolutionary speaking, I think. I mean, okay, I wasn't sure if you guys were suggesting um, 
you know, that you didn't agree with what he was saying? Because, yeah, <laughs> oh, that makes a lot of sense, everything he said so far. <laughs> no, the, the, fun, the funny thing is, is, like, when I first found out about him, there used to be, he used to have, like, a couple of websites, but apparently they, like, the, like, this, you know, the, the Illuminati kept taking his website down. <laughs> and um, so, so he kept um, having to get other websites. And so one time I actually, like, printed a bunch of pages. I think I still have them somewhere of, like, all of his theories of how humans came into being and how, you know, f- Freemasonry is 300 and what, how many days are there? What, 365? 365. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so Freemasonry is 365,000 years old. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And it began... Well, every year that, must, that number must grow, right? <laughs> well, no, it's, you know, that's where you get the 365 from, is from 365,000 years ago in Africa. But counting from when, like when he was saying that, like, on, or, <laughs> like, when do you start counting? Because every year, wouldn't it... Well, the first child was born in the puddle that the mountain cat got and raised. That's what I would think. Puddle? Child born in a puddle with a mountain cat? It's like a jerky boy's like, like prank phone call. <laughs> well, lightning hit the puddle, and then, of course, that's that must where be baby where, came from. Like the lightning bolt with the Zeus comes from. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not far. It's not far afield from mainstream science. And that, that's why the um, that's, that's why the runes, like the the like the runes, is a lightning bolt, right? Is it? I, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why. Oh, going back to Hitler, that's why the SS has those runes, um, the two lightning bolts. Oh, okay. They're like, you know what you know what a rune is. It's like the I thought a rune was a, yeah I thought yeah I thought it was like a, some kind of a crystal or something right. There there's a, there's different types. One of them is a lightning bolt. Just a symbol of a lightning bolt is a rune. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's most likely because the lightning bolt struck the puddle and then the child was raised by the mountain cat. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's referring to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. That's why Harry Potter has a lightning bolt. Harry Potter, the the hair, the hair, the communication, the tele. Oh, oh, dude, the great hair. one. No, actually, I actually heard Keely ex- explain Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> he said Harry. Oh wait, no, it wasn't Harry Potter. It was it was Prince Harry. Prince Harry, okay. Prince Harry is 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 <laughs> the reason they named him that was because of Harry Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> what if there is a tie-in between Prince Harry and Harry Potter? I don't know. I, I do. I do know what the esoteric meaning of Potter is. You can go into any symbol, any symbolic book. That's why he's named Harry Potter. Because a Potter was some. You know, a Potter is somebody who makes molds shapes out of clay okay and um sometimes potters were magicians 
Ah. Right. It's in my boat. It's in my uh, dictionary over there. I have it up there. I'll go. Let me go see if I can find the Potter definition. But yeah, it has to do with the witchcraft. And I'm not just for any Potters listening. I'm not saying you're a witch if you're a Potter. Just say no. I'm just saying in some in symbology. That's what it, it means. It says here on. BuzzFeed News. The royal family goes to Hogwarts. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, Prince William and Kate Middleton, and Prince Harry duel with wands, ride in the Batmobile, and tour Hogwarts at the Warner Brother Studios in Leviston, UK. They visit it. Aren't the fans. royals supposed to be, be the bad people in the movie? Uh, y- yeah. I don't... I don't know. Mm-hmm. How would they be big fans? But apparently they are seen, big fans. I've seen a couple of those movies. Yeah, I've it's seen all. some of them, and they're really. Uh, I it's just kind of silly. I don't know. They're silly, but like they've got they've got all sorts of um, satanic witchcraft type of stuff embedded into it. Yeah, but. It's like it's made kind of it's made fun. It's it's kind of cool. Um, like I think I think we talked about it before. I think there's one character and his name is he's a dog and his name is Sirius Black or something. Okay. Like so he's the black dog Sirius, the you know Canis Major. Yeah. So there's all kinds of references to occult stuff and yeah there's another one uh so what is it i think somebody's named remus in there of course remus and romulus is the myth of, of how rome was started so people have those type of names in the moot in there so romulus and remus are raised by wolves and and Remus backwards is Sumer. Ah, really? Interesting. Yeah, Remus, Remus. If you if you if you say it backwards, it's it's Sumer, Sumer. But um, not true though. The true story is that they were raised by uh, mountain cats. Mountain cats with light, <laughs> lightning bolts. <laughs> So we got the real scoop on that, thanks to Glenn Keeley. Hey, so I'll, uh, I was gonna, when you guys were talking say before Allah? about. I thought, I thought Richard just said Allah. I thought he did too. But... No, I'm sorry, Richard. <laughs> what were you saying? Uh, I was going to say, well, if you guys wanted to go back uh, a few minutes, but uh, when you're talking about the solar panels, um, you had me thinking, have you guys ever, have you been around, like, houses that have solar panels? They're all set up. Yeah, they look, they they make the already terrible architecture of California look even worse. (laughs) Well, have you, like, been up close to the house, like, so... They all have these big meters. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, there's 
a lot of them when they when they put them in. Well, I'm sure you know this. You know, being a um, restorationist and all, but um, but yeah, they got them hooked up to the smart meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and these things, and man, they're, they're, they they hum big, like. Yeah, they're, like they're, big, big they're big. Um, you know, for lack of a better word, they're they're just radiating heat. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. It, so. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, like, it was, I, I just I wonder like what the heck I haven't got I don't have one of those meters or whatever to you know to to measure the uh, the the, the uh, whatever the output of of energy but i can only imagine i mean if you, you you walk like by the big power lines and stuff that they you know that people talk about being bad and everything you can hear those coming that's kind of like what these things are doing but they're on your house you know and then think how times however many are in your neighborhood i mean it just seems like it's got to be some crazy output coming off those things so there's like heat radiating radiating off the panels, like they put off a lot of heat. Like they, it is hot. Like they're warm, but um, but the, the, the but then the sound it just buzzes. It's, it's, my mom has them actually, and yeah, it's like just a constant like humming coming off of off of the thing. And it's it's all based wow. on like Wi-Fi stuff, you know, like uh, that. You have to have Wi-Fi for one thing, too, to have the panels. But I guess it's whatever sends signals back to the electric company or the company that you're leasing the panels from or whatever. Yeah, they have the smart right. meters hooked up to them and all of that. And they, yeah. Uh, yeah, but these are like the smart meters that they got all over the place. But like times times 10 or you know like they're 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 huge and 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 noisy like the, hmm. the regular smart meters on you know on your panel they're not i they're not they're not like this they don't they don't make noise like that and they're they're not warm so like the meter is hot when you touch it like the whole like the box like itself like the it's it's it, it, i don't I, I don't know all the parts of it, it's it, there's it's quite a contraption. Um, like there's a big there's the meter the, the meter like the, the the that the digital meters or whatever. There's at least mm-hmm. one or two of those, and then there's a big like on the one that my mom has. It's like a big black. I'd say it's about um, maybe two feet by I don't know maybe a two foot by two foot box something like that that that. Like, I'm not exactly sure what its place in the whole thing is, um, but that, yeah, that that that's all hooked into it, and 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 yeah, the whole that whole area, it's warm and it buzzes. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. But so it's just hum- constantly, anyway. continually humming, just putting out oh, a yeah. racket. Yep. Uh. Yep. And I get, I mean, I get solicitations on this constantly. You know, they're, they're, I don't know if it's like that throughout the country. I mean, I do live in a place that's 
pretty sunny, I guess, or whatever. So I don't know if they push harder here. But even like I'll, I, it seems like my electric bill, I think, has gone up. At times, I, om- I, I, I almost feel suspicious that it's because I haven't gotten any panels, but they'll put like this little notification in the electric bill that um, my cost or my 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 energy use is like like in the red. You know, it's bad. Like I have a lot of energy use, which I don't even I I, I really doubt that. But and then they'll have compared to your your energy efficient neighbors and mm-hmm. and uh you know like i guess in implying that the people that have panels like they use way less electric than me or something like like i i, I can, i'm probably not describing it the best way but i i mean this is this is this this type of propaganda comes with my electric bill to you know encourage me to Get, get some panels. Do they subsidize them to the government? Like you get some I, kind of tax write-off or yeah, installment yeah, plan yeah, or I something? Mean, yeah, yeah. And there's different ways you can go about it. Um, you can also lease them. Which well, an, is, an, another th- another thing is is, <clears throat> and you know, I'm sure everybody on this call listening to this will know what I'm talking about. Everything, you know, the solar stuff and all this stuff, everything that gets introduced, it gets introduced to you um, that by doing this, this is going to somehow offset your standard of living. Like, you're going to be saving money. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Right? And let's say, uh, well, well, for for instance, if, if anybody's ever shopped at Trader Joe's and Richard and I have talked about this before, Trader Joe's is notorious for um, doing one of two things. Like, they'll put out a new product, and it'll be like a suit. Like you're like, wow, that's a really low price for that. And then once you've started to buy it, they've they've got you hooked, and then they raise the price six months later. Mm, yeah. Or. Or what they do to, like, their other products is, like, all of a sudden you notice that there's less chips in the bag. Right. Right? (laughs) Or you notice that the ounces on something has gone down, but you're paying the same price. So they're real sneaky about it. And this is what happens within the world of government rackets with something like solar. It's like, oh, it's going to be so much cheaper. You're going to be saving so much energy. And then... The day is going to come, you know, whenever that is, when all of a sudden your um, energy bill is the same as it was as when you didn't have the solar panels. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Chris has pointed this out um, many times that there is no getting out of this once you once they've got you locked into a living standard. Like, for whatever class or, you know, whatever monetary class you live in, you're locked into that. And it's very hard to, like, kind of 
maneuver your way out of it. So there's only so many certain ways you can maneuver your way out of it to actually save real money because there's always something else that's going to like move in and take the take that saved money away. You see what I'm saying? Like it may not come in the form of uh, the energy bill, but it could come in the form of like uh, property taxes or something like that. Where it's like, yeah. oh, the property taxes just went up for whatever reason but of course there's going to be a good reason given and then um so it that way oh you know this uh like a preposterous four in the chat says they've had solar panels for three years and they love them it's like yeah well you know you get uh, incentivized to get it to get on board with the panels and then um yeah, something else can be brought in to say uh, to offset that cost or whatever. But it, yeah, right. Well, here's, the, here's the other thing about those solar panels, um, and Richard can attest to this, I'm sure. So everybody knows you're not allowed to have off the grid solar panels, right? You got to be hooked up to the well, electric. Yeah, you're not I, I allowed. Don't know. Well, uh, I've wondered about uh, why do you say you're not allowed? Because in California, in California, I don't know anywhere else. California, you cannot have off the grid solar panels. Mm. Oh, okay. They'll send they'll send an inspector out of your out to your house and say, "Wait a minute, what's going on here? These aren't hooked into the system. We're not we're not taxing these. We're not um, regulating uh-huh. these ones." Oh, you mean you're you you put those on yourself, and you've got your own solar panel system running in here and. Nobody's accounting for it. Uh, uh, uh. That's not happening. I didn't know that. Wow. That's it. I, because I, hmm. my my thought with the whole thing is that if I, I I had plans on doing that potentially myself at some point. I don't know. It's been years since I've thought about it. But that was my intentions at one point was to to do it myself and bypass their their whole thing. But. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, that's the first I've heard. Well, it doesn't surprise me at all. Let's California. just say this: like with any other technology or with any other um, unconquered area, there's always a wild west time period. So mm-hmm. you might be able to get away with it for a little while before the you know solar panel police you know yeah. uh, make their way out to your right. house or be, or they they come up with the office of. You know the office of solar energy regulation or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think that it could possibly be like this incentivizing where, yeah, you'll you'll get a break on your electric if you get solar, and that will be the case for a good while. I, I think, yeah, I think that's yeah. that's definitely possible possible development where, uh, and then, yeah. The, the thing of it is, though, it's like in, in this book that I was just reading from The Turning Point, this guy is saying in here, uh, and I'll, I'll find the passage and, you know, we can talk about it on another call. This guy is saying in this book that there is too much electricity in the world. <laughs> too many electrons floating around. He says in there that there is an overabundance of electrical plants and an overabundance of supply of electricity. He said there is no need to build anything. He, he's saying this in 1982. He said, you know, these cities, these towns, they're building 
electrical plants. He's all, we don't need any more electrical plants. Everybody has an abundance of electricity. That's funny because it, um, for 15 minutes yesterday, the, elect- the power went out when it was too hot. Mm. Right? Yeah, it always happens out there, huh? Or happens a lot. They've got, they had rolling blackouts in the San Fernando Valley. Um, there's not, and, and the reason is always, oh, well, see, that's because, you know, everybody at the same time was running all their air conditioners and there wasn't enough electricity to go around. Right. Yeah, that's what they say. Right? Uh huh. Yeah. Not enough solar panels. We, you know, we've got to shut up. One, two, oh. check. You cut out there, John. I can't Go ahead. You. Oh, you, you broke. Oh, I was just saying. You, yeah. I was just saying that, you know, the idea that there that we even need to go to solar panels is, 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 foundation, is foundationally BS. Well, they have solar panels in the uh, w- w- San Fernando Valley, right? A lot. A lot of them right. more than but, there used to be. We still got blackouts. And you still have blackouts, yeah? Yeah. Well, and that's, to me, that's one of the whole things that annoyed me with the whole thing, and that's why I thought if I was going to do anything, I'd do it, just do it myself and bypass it, because it's like, you're okay, so you got solar panels, you're trying to grid, so if there's a power outage or whatever, then you're still completely real helpless and reliant on when they get it up and going again and everything. Well, what, like, what's the big benefit? I mean, obviously there's a, a, a cost benefit because you're going to be getting some type of incentive, obviously, to, to have the panels to begin with. But it, as far as the idea that you're generating your own electric, but you can't even actually use it if, you know, if you need it, like, whoa, when... when you know, it's, 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 we, it's, it's stupid. It's like you generate it, wait. but you give it right back to them. And then you buy. I don't know. Sure. Well, think think about this. And, um, okay. So when recycling, I, I remember when, when recycle bins first came out in the 1980s, mid-1980s in California, they started having recycle bins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It was It was free. And it was one of those things where, like, oh, we're offering you this service, this free little bucket. Just put your cans in there. This way you don't have to take them down. You know, we don't want you throwing them out, you know, and you're helping save the earth by recycling, right? Mm -hmm. So my dad never did that. My dad always recycled the cans. I I recycle the cans and the bottles here, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'll go down there, you know, just down the street here and get a couple of bucks for it. Okay? Yeah. So, but at, but at first it was offered as like, oh, we're doing you this favor. Just, you know, do, do, do us the favor of separating the cans and the newspapers and the whole bit. Then it was, okay, now it's part of your trash. Now you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So now when you pay for your trash you got to pay for the recycle bin too, right? So you're putting stuff in that can that they're going to make money off of. Recycle it and make money off of it. The truck to come out and take it for you so they could go make money. (laughs) So maybe they'll say in the future, 
well, okay, you know, you're hooked up to the grid, you got solar panels, but it, it costs to transfer that power. We're going to have to charge you for this. We can't, it's not s sustainable anymore well, to maintain this grid. So you have to pay for the grid to transfer your solar over it, the grid. Well, actually what it is, I mean, Richard has those solar panels on his, Richard got those solar panels on his house. Um, see, here's the thing. There's, there's a fee, there's a, there's a renewable energy resource fee. Mm, that sounds good. Right? Because, see, in the future, <laughs> in, in the future, the sol like the solar panels, they're, like, the solar panels themselves are going to somehow be a burden on the city. Oh, because they're, like Richard said, they're generating heat. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. yeah, so what, what, we didn't know that was going to happen. So whatever it is, is like, it's like the city says like, well, you know, Mr. Uh, well, I won't say Richard's last name because I don't know if he wants to say it on the call, but um, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Smith, um, Mr. Smith, um, do you realize by having those solar panels that it's actually costing the city money for you to maintain those solar panels? I mean, so we have the, the renewable resource energy bill that we give you every month for, for the fact that you have these solar panels. It's you know costing us money, right? Mm -hmm. And people will believe it. Oh, sure. just like they be, just like they believe that it costs them, you know, 50 bucks a month or whatever to have the recycle truck come around and take the recycling for them so that they can take it somewhere and go get it recycled and make money off of it. And then I brought this up when it happened, what, two or three years ago, when California actually outlawed you being able to put anything but CRV taxed stuff in the recycle bin. Really? Or, or I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm sorry. What what they did was, they they made recyclers. Is my bad. Here, here's what it is. If you want to take something to the recycler, it can only be it can only have a CRV tax on it. Like you used to be able to take glass jars, tin cans, wine bottles, whatever it was. You used to be able to take all that stuff to the recycler and get money for it, right? Right. Can't do okay. that anymore. Huh? No, California made it a law that if you want to go to the recycler, it has to have a CRV tax on it. So it can only be an aluminum can. It can only be a beer bottle with a CRV tax on it. It can only be a milk bottle. It can only be um, plastic with CRV on it. And the funny thing about it is, is any of that other stuff has to... They, they made it mandatory that you have to put it in the recycle bin. So if they catch you with something in the trash can that's supposed to be in the recycle bin, you'll get a little, um, you'll get a little warning on your trash can mm. that'll say, hey, you, you put glass in the trash can. That doesn't go in the trash can. That goes in the recycle. <laughs> what if it's not CRV glass? No, that's the scam. The scam is, the scam is, is they, they, they said that you, the slave, 
are not allowed to go get money for your own glass, but then you're forced to put it in their recycle bins so they can take it and go get money money. for it. (laughs) Boy, that sucks. Um, Like, didn't they used to pay pretty good? I remember, like, you know, being out in California and it'd say, like, redeem for 10, like a like a regular like beer bottle would be like 10 cents or something like that and that's like that's pretty damn good and like for recycling and i remember like people used to collect those well used of course uh, like homeless people and stuff would be collecting bottles and shit all the time they could make some pretty decent uh yeah like when I was a teenager, I used to do it for like two hours. I'd go, there was a couple shopping centers, and I'd just go up there. And literally within like two hours, I'd, I'd, I'd get myself like, you know, I don't know, 12, 15 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Together. And, yeah. Well, that's how it starts out, yeah. see. And then eventually they work it around to where you're having, like John was saying, put it in the recycle bin properly so yeah. they can take it and. <laughs> make money off yeah. of it and all that but yeah first it starts yeah, it was, out it was, yeah. it was all to acclimate you to the change it was all to get your mind wrapped around the idea of recycling for the earth and you know so why was it is it going to be any different with solar panels like it's great now you can yeah. you know get the your bill knocked down and it's not always going to be that way yeah it's what yeah, I have a, a, a similar example of something that I experienced years ago. Um, <clears throat> apartment I used to live out or live in. We uh, the only time I actually ever had cable in my adult life, uh, we got they 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 hooked us up with cable. I had been there for a bit already, at least a year or two, and then everybody got you know you had to get cable. Was, you know that was the deal of the whole complex. Um, so we got cable, and then within less than a year, for sure, uh, rent went up like 50 bucks. <laughs> so, so it was like it was it was presented like, oh, we're we're generously gonna pay for everybody's cable, but it was no time before you know everybody you know everybody's got it now, but and then you're forced into it, but then your rent just goes up, so you're you're ultimately paying for it, you know. It was just a coincidence, I'm sure. Notice that when Richard was trying to dispel that little nugget right there, the music just came on right then. Yeah. Well, I get this pop-up Wait, that, notification that what? from uh, the, uh, is, uh, what is it? I forget. The Jews. The, yeah, the Mossad. Uh, the Mossad. So, the, Jews, yeah. the Jews heard Richard talking about the, about the rent going up. They, they sent Chris an instant message saying, quick, cue the music. He's talking about the rent going up. It's actually like a big pop-up window that's like red like yellow lettering hit 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 uh closing music now I have to I can't uh, <laughs> I can't disobey or my computer will lock up but uh you'll have a big flashing like sign of Solomon on your on your
Thanks, John. Check out hoaxbusterscall.com for all things Hoaxbusters Call. It will be post of interest. Check out the links on the right-hand side. Check out ads on demand. Make a donation if you want. Uh, so that was a good call. Goo-doo-doo-doo. Uh, thanks, everybody, for turning out. Who's still in the chat? NFC moved to Colorado. Kalito Grante, Melhot McCode, Michael, Phil Mc- Phil. McCracken, Papa Cap, Foster's Four, Richard Destroy, Rumpy Still Skin, and Psy Girl. Thanks for coming out. <coughs> I try to do this every Monday night, and then um, later in the summer months, we 10 o'clock Eastern. So call in if you want to call in, and the information is there at hoaxbustercall.com at the top. Scooter doop. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Take care. Take care, uh, Mahatma Coat. Call in next time, man. I know uh, you got my Skype link, so. Doop doop doop. Scoop doop doop. Bop bop bop. for listening to the Hoaxbusters Call. You can subscribe to the podcast at hoaxbusterscall.com. You can support the Hoaxbusters Call by rating it on iTunes, sharing it on social media, a donation at hoaxbusterscall.com Conspicuous graffiti in public places Hoaxbusters Call Conspiracy Just Theory is for southern people to eat with their breakfast with their fried eggs and their T-bone steaks. The Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. The Computer Fraud and Abuse Act was inspired by the movie War Games with Matthew Broderick, which is a great movie. I have you now. In this movie, a kid gets the ability through the magic of computer networks to, like, launch a nuclear attack. No, that's not actually possible and it certainly wasn't possible in the 80s but apparently this movie scared congress enough to um pass the the original computer fraud and abuse act and you believe this rubbish do you know you do you believe this tripe did you have a sandwich today ah wasn't that delicious was there a terrorist in your sandwich was there a little nazi flag on the fucking toothpick that they stuck in your fucking uh, club sandwich there 
I'm, I'm going to say there wasn't. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say there wasn't. That's, I mean, that's clear. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 